For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. So let's have a look at the morning papers. Let's have uh, a sconce through the sconce. That's a cork word. By the way, we'll be looking at uh, cork slang and uh, other slang in a few moments. Uh, But looking through the morning papers, probably the cleverest headline, although a serious situation, a blockade Mila Fulcher. Blockade, Mila Fulcher. Tractors uh, stop asylum seekers. No need for demo, says Leo. Uh, The Sun's front page saying that protesters use tractors and silage bales to stop refugees getting to a new home yesterday. Uh, Some bust-in asylum seekers left the site in Inch County Clear on foot and locals vowed to keep the blockade up until they got answers, as you'll have heard in our news bulletin. And uh, with a picture of a silage bale in the foreground, bale out is the headline uh, that uh, is quite large, actually, in front of the Irish Mirror. A group of asylum seekers packed their bags and began a 210-kilometre trek on foot back to Dublin following angry protests outside their accommodation, reports Killian Sherlock and Gordon Deegan on the front of the Irish Mirror. The men bailed out of the Magana House Hotel in Inch County Clare after uh, protesters blocked the entrance to the property with tractors and a silage bale. Minister pleads for help over refugee crisis is the big headline on the front of the Daily Mail. Roderick O'Gorman scrambling as asylum seekers leave hotel in Clare after protesters block access with tractors. And uh, there's concern growing of the coalition's failure to stem rising tensions across the country. The Minister for Integration is pleading with the Cabinet for more help in dealing with the asylum seeker crisis as tensions mount in communities across the country. Front page of the Independent, credit unions are offering cheaper mortgages than main banks and not affected by changes in ECB interest rates. Charlie Weston, the uh, finance editor there, reporting that credit unions are now offering some of the cheapest mortgages available in Ireland, prompting hopes they could challenge the dominance of the banks. A major analysis of mortgage offerings by the sector carried out by the Irish Independent, shows that almost half of the state's 205 active credit unions are currently offering mortgages to first-time buyers and switchers. Loan rates as low as 2.95% are available from some credit unions, which is significantly lower than anything from the three mainstream banks or the non-bank lenders. In fact, if you are doing the sums and uh, trying to get yourself a mortgage, uh, you know, at the current rates, you probably could borrow more from a credit union for the same amount of money because the interest rates would be lower. Certainly worth visiting your local credit union and checking that out. Student suffering is the main headline in the Echo today. More turning to Childline over exam worries. A number of Cork students are being forced to turn to Childline as a, mean to make, a means to make it through leaving cert exams as they grapple with crippling mental health issues. And the final front page is the uh, Irish Examiner. Coalition clashes over uh, refugees. Uh, Kira Phelan and uh, Neil Michael reporting blockades remaining in place at a Clare Asylum Centre. For a third day, government parties are at loggerheads over how to deal with a mounting crisis in providing uh, refugee accommodation. Those are the front pages. Uh, let's take a dip into the inside. Long-awaited new medical school for Cork moves a step closer. Sean Murray says the HSC has gone out to tender on a new £17.6 million uh, euro costing clinical medical support school to support the teaching of medical students on the CUH campus. According to University College Cork, the long-awaited development will help address significant shortfalls in existing educational and student support facilities. Children will not be shown porn 
in school as part of new course, says Minister Foley. I had to read that twice. Children will not be shown porn in school as part of new course, says Minister Foley. Junior cycle students will not be shown pornography as part of a new social personnel and health education. That's the SPHE. Uh, that programme, Edu- Education Minister Norma Foley said, there will be no pornographic material taught or shown in our schools and pornography will not be taught. Uh, what will be taught will be respect for yourself and respect for others. More details in the Independent Inside Pages today. First year students to study consent and influence of porn is the related headline inside the Irish Examiner today. Jess Casey reporting that from September, first year students are to learn about the importance of consent in sexual relationships, the influence of pornography, while not being shown it, I suppose, and uh, how sexual orientation and gender identity are experienced and expressed. More in the Examiner. The Echo has man found with stolen safe on day he left jail. Liam Halen reporting a man was caught with a stolen safe containing 24000 in cash and jewellery hours after his release from prison. More in the Echo. Staying with the Echo, hospital waiting lists in Cork top 84,000. In the Mirror 68 air crash uh, remains on new DNA database. And uh, we'll be talking about this later in the programme. The hopes the list will finally end the pain for families who are still looking for loved ones. Gallagher stands down as Derry GAA boss after abuse allegations. Rory Gallagher has stepped down as Derry's senior football manager. The county board confirmed last night. I always wondered how difficult it would be to have the same name as somebody that was famous, that, uh, you know, was, was around before you and famous like Rory Gallagher or Michael Collins, or any of those big names. Uh, Homer Simpson is a case in point. There are seven real-life Homer Simpsons, I believe, who uh, predated Homer Simpson, of course, on the uh, on the screen. But imagine being stopped by uh, an officer of the law. What's your name? Homer Simpson. Get out. Uh, anyway, Rory Gallagher, the um, Derry senior football manager, has stepped down the county board, confirmed last night. Uh, Eamon Ryan, same picture, two different papers. Fuel duty must rise. Excise and duty on petrol and diesel uh, must rise in two weeks if Ireland is to have a stable revenue base, Transport Minister Eamon Ryan said yesterday. The government cut the levy in March last year as fuel prices soared due to the war in Ukraine. Isn't the start of that $65 billion, uh, already after being identified? Was it $4.5 billion of a surplus uh, compared to government predictions came in the last round? Of counting. Anyway, in February it announced the cuts would be restored on a phase basis between June and September. Uh, so the first increase on June 1st will add 6 cent and 5 cent to a litre of petrol or diesel respectively. When asked if he believed it was appropriate the fuel prices should rise while the country is in the middle of a cost of living crisis, Mr Ryan said the cost, cuts must be phased out. The Green Party leader added, we set out clearly that's what we would do. Uh, the, that will give us the capability, if we were in another further crisis, the flexibility to use sim- similar measures. So put the price up, give us more money, and we'll cut them again if things really, really go bad. Uh, same picture, different headline in the Irish Daily Mail. Ryan, parking ban for public workers, not a punishment. Public servants who won't be able to park their car at the office are not being punished, Transport Minister Eamon Ryan said. Uh, the government is uh, pushing ahead with plans approved by Cabinet yesterday to phase out the use of car parking at buildings that have access to good public transport. I wonder, will we see an empty Doyle Aaron car park after that? Taylor promoter warns of real threat 
as UK security is flown in. Security will be tight at Katie Taylor's world title fight in Dublin this weekend. Organisers admitting there's a real threat, particularly with the politics that go around boxing. Matchroom, the promotions company organising the event, will fly a large number of protection officers into Ireland from Britain. They have also hired additional security personnel in Ireland, uh, some of whom have a military background. Undercover Gardaí will be present at the ticket-only weigh-in on Friday, which will be heavily policed. Uh, Security staff have been told to keep their eyes peeled for any activity that looks suspicious. I wouldn't really encourage you to go along to the fight, pay the big money for the ticket, would it? If, If anyone in the boxing world... Uh, can give a very clear picture of what's going on there and what politics and what danger uh, exists. I'd love to be enlightened on that. Here's a very strange one. A psychic who said dead dad wanted son to give her €10,000 is found guilty. A home carer and psychic medium has been convicted of deceiving a man of €10,000 by telling him his deceased father had told her uh, he should give her the money. Talking flirty, the Irish Mirror has a, a very entertaining Uh, Look at emojis and the ones to avoid, some of which uh, uh, I'd nearly use on a daily basis. I didn't know they had other meanings. Uh, A peach, apparently, represents private parts. Water droplets can be uh, seen to be sexually charged. Uh, The devil face can come across as naughty, but we kind of knew that. Uh, The wink with the tongue out can be explicit. And uh, the disembodied tongue uh, can be seen to be explicit as well. Of course, we know the red heart. As connotations of romance. Uh, Don's trumped by the village people. Apparently the village people could be up to sue Donald Trump for using their music without permission. Um, and I want to give a quick mention to this because I quickly scanned the headline and said, oh, that's hardly worthy of mention. Uh, a speeding drunk driver in Colorado swapping seats with his dad to avoid. Uh, and then I looked closely. So let me give you the, uh, the detail here. This is quite entertaining. A Colorado man attempted to switch places, not with his dad, but with his dog to convince law enforcement officials that the pet was behind the wheel to avoid a ticket. Serious subject, but uh, I mean, you have to laugh at this, the, the neck of this guy. The driver, who was not named, was pulled over for speeding before the man attempted to switch places with his dog, who was in the passenger seat, the Springfield Police Department said. Uh, the man who was driving from Las Animas to Pueblo got lost en route and was stopped by the police about half eleven at night last Saturday. An officer watched the entire episode of the driver manoeuvring inside the car to swap places with the dog before the man got out from the passenger side. The male party then exited the uh, passenger side of the vehicle and claimed he was not driving, the police said. The police said the man showed clear signs of intoxication and when asked about his alcohol consumption, he ran from the officer before being nabbed again. So there you go. He swapped seats with his dog to avoid prosecution. It's 22 minutes uh, after nine now. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, the eagle-eared amongst you. Somebody has texted in. Yes, uh, I mentioned Springfield and Homer Simpson in the same pay-per-view and I never connected the dots, but there you go, I stand corrected. Now then, uh, Barry O'Sullivan is Professor of Computer Science in uh, University College Cork and joins me online too. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, how are you? Uh, no, I'm very, very intrigued by this uh, uh, upcoming topic. If, if I ask you to maybe to present a little um, AI for a dummy, the dummy will be me. Uh, because I, I'm, and I'm not sure anyone is really up to speed on this. I mean, in, in my day, AI was something... 
that was spoken about by the farming fraternity in our class. It, it, it now, of course, means something completely different. And why we've all been the beneficiaries of the, you know, the rapid increase in, in the advances in technology and all the ease and apps and easy contact and video phone calls we can make for free around the world and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, that's been great. But are we now going a little too far, a little too fast? Sure. So I guess, you know, let's let's go back to the beginning. So what is AI and, you know, how do people encounter it? Um, there, it might surprise people to hear that there really isn't an accepted sort of definition of what AI actually is, artificial intelligence. Um, but I suppose the easy way of thinking about it is that these are computer systems that perform tasks that you normally associate with needing human intelligence. So, for example, um, understanding language, uh, recognizing something in an image, being able to plan, being able to make it, being able to um, weigh up lots and lots of options and figure out what the best thing to do. Um, these are all um, tasks that AI systems perform. So um, people are using these things every day. So if you're if you're watching Netflix at night, the the the, the list of things that comes up for you, the, the recommendations, that's that's suggested to you based on your your pri- your prior viewing experiences and so what you've seen what you haven't seen what you've liked what you've not liked and so there's a recommender system behind that and that's an ai system because it's performing a task it's normally rec- that you'd normally expect a human being to do um so you know you're already using it there okay you're already using ai on your text messages you type in a word and you know you'll see in your phone that a, a word pops up that you can select that's that's ai so people are already using it every day Okay, so if if you're talking to your buddy about something you would never really talk about, for instance, I wouldn't often talk about fishing. But if I said, I want to get a new fishing rod, I think I'll go back fishing because I really enjoyed fishing when I was young. And suddenly on Facebook and on other social media feeds, you're getting all these fishing ads. Is that AI? AI? Yeah, so so the the kinds of things that recommend things to you on the social media, I get that that's AI. Basically what's going on there is um, Facebook or Instagram, whatever it is, um, is looking at the kinds of things that you're engaging with, that you're liking. And it says, well, you know, um, so, you know, these two people seem to like the same kinds of things, so let's let's use uh, the kinds of things that person B likes and recommend them to person A. So okay. that, that's an AI system. But, you know, in a sense, um, the AI technology has been with us and we've been using it um, literally for decades. So it's already sort of in the ether, it's already in, uh, in your handsets, in your phones, it's in your cars, it's in your TVs. Um, so everybody's already using it. I suppose what's happened recently is there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of fear has been uh, whipped up around things like ChatGPT and these kinds, of, uh, these kinds of things. And people are saying, well, you know, the, these systems are now so powerful, you know, won't I lose my job? But I think that really is... Uh, fear, and we're nowhere close to that whatsoever. Okay, let's get on to the losing the job element in a moment, but for the the completely uninitiated, i.e. me, and for any (laughs) of our listeners who who don't really know much about this, with the release of that app in November, it had over 100 million active users, uh, making it the fastest growing online consumer application ever. Please explain to us ChatGPT. Yeah. Okay. So, so ChatGPT is um, is what's called a language model. It's a it's a computer program that generates text. Um, and again, people have been using language models uh, all the time. I think everybody who has a smartphone um, and who writes text messages, you know, you'll see that when you start ty- typing a text message, you know, so uh, you know, hi Michael, 
uh, you would see on the top of your phone that a, a word would be predicted, what the next word might be. Okay, so uh, and you might start to type the word, and you know you might get a bunch of words that you could use in your message. That's a language model. ChatGPT is a is a is a super powerful version of that. It doesn't predict the next word, but it predicts maybe the next sentence or the next paragraph. And I suppose by by large, what I mean is um, the, the program uh, can consider so many different combinations at the same time that it can it can literally produce volumes of text you could ask it to you know you could start writing a letter about something and you can ask chat gpt well actually you write the letter for me and um rather than predicting the next word it'll predict the next sentence paragraph it might even write the whole letter for you okay so, but here's a chilling element of chat gpt yeah, the sure. boss of chat gpt yesterday revealed his worst fear is the huge damage artificial intelligence can do to the world. This is Sam Altman. He said that AI had the potential to improve nearly every aspect of our lives, from solving climate change to curing cancer. But the chief executive of OpenAI, which created the viral chatbot, uh, warned that the technology also created serious risks and called for urgent government regulation. That doesn't come normally from a CEO. Yes, so so I suppose there's a a few things here. So what are the... um so, so first of all, I've explained at the beginning that people are using AI very, very commonly and so on, right? So, and very, very um, harmless applications in the thing that sort of suggests what, what song you should listen to next, for example. The problem with ChatGPT is, when I was describing it, it can produce large amounts of text. Um, and of course, the problem is that uh, in the first instance, ChatGPT might not be producing text that's accurate. So it'll certainly produce good text, but it might not be text that's true. Um, and of course, the other thing that you can do with ChatGPT is you can, with these large language models, uh, th- these things that generate huge amounts of text, is you can you can essentially automate um, the creation of disinformation. And um, for anybody who's used this, it's really difficult, if not impossible, to recognise a piece of text that has been generated from one of these things, and a piece of text that's been generated from by a responsible journalist, for example. And so the risk is that people who are um, who have bad intention. Um, can you, these tools now give them um, at their fingertips ways of really generating lots of uh, dangerous content, uh, content that could be harmful to you know, the well-being of society, so for example, uh, impacting elections. Um, and so that is the risk. And unfortunately, the, the problem with technology is, like what is the purpose of technology? The purpose of technology is to remove frictions. And now we have a technology that, that removes the friction to, between you wanting to say something and you being able to create a piece of text that can be uh, that can be sent around the world in seconds, and that and that is the risk. It's not it's not specifically that the AI technology itself is harmful. It's how it's going to be used and the people who will use it, and that's the risk. Okay, uh, as a professor in UCC and computer science, Barry O'Sullivan, you obviously accept uh, assignments from students, thesis yeah. um, submissions from students, and I've seen this many times uh, at home, uh, because they're, you know, they're research-based and you're looking at previous work and you're taking references from books which you put in your annotation or whatever, uh, you get back a plagiarism score. So that means if you've you've robbed any work that you haven't uh, credited the author with, uh, the technology that exists in UCC will give you a plagiarism score, and I think it must be under 20 or 21% or whatever it is anyway. Can chat GPT be used to do those assignments and, uh, and a, a thesis, oh, yeah. perhaps, 
Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I've been playing a little bit, playing around with it a little bit, um, specifically around exams, and so uh, using exams that are used, uh, you know, in universities and schools around the world, um, and you know, simply passing the questions through it, uh, taking the answers that ChatGPT give, you know, um, and sending my my set of answers to the professor or to the teacher involved, and asking them to grade it. And you often get extremely high grades. You get 80, 90%, right? So, the, so ChatGPT is very, very good at that kind of, um, as, at many kinds of exams. So certainly it's the case that um, we no longer can rely on um, people doing their own work. You know, it's, it's almost just a question of integrity. Do you trust them to do it? Yeah. So certainly schools and universities are going to have to change how they um, how they assess and evaluate uh, students. I must say, in my own course, just for information, um, uh, while it's a computer science course, the uh, the exam itself is very old-fashioned. Students come in, they get an exam paper, they get an ex- they can, they get an answer book, like you did in your leaving cert way back in the day, and they actually write it down there in the classroom, right? So the so I know it's their work, but you that's become really really difficult, right, to recognise when people when the the thing that people give you has actually been written by them and not written by some. Some bots, but of course, that's always been a problem because with the internet, of course, you can you can uh, basically hire people to do the work for you. So you know, but of course, ChatGPT automates this. Yeah, as as the internet has been largely beneficial uh, large to beneficial. you know to dissemination of information, to research, and to yeah. you know the application and, and and ease of people's lives. There are also the dark side. Uh, of the internet, and there's going to be dark sides of every technology. Let's move on to the the job thing. When somebody as high profile as Tom Hanks has already identified and wants to copyright his face at all ages and his voice and his mannerisms, uh, he wants to AI copyright them so that AI in the future, if he were to pass on, cannot generate Tom Hanks to be a star of a movie, which would be quite passable, uh, without getting the permission of his estate or his family. So that's, you know, when Tom Hanks is doing that, that's one thing. On the other extreme end of things, we've all seen the movies where the human race is fighting the androids that have taken over yeah. their planet. Uh, how far along the road are we to this AI technology replacing human beings in the workplace? Yeah, so, so just let's just take the Tom Hanks example for a second. So um, certainly it's it's quite easy today to, um, to generate... Um, Sort of a virtual you, um, sort of a computer, a computerized version of you. So, um, and by easy, I mean, you know, within a couple of hours, one can have uh, something speaking on the screen that looks like you, that um, sounds like you, um, and there you are moving on the screen. And it's it's pretty convincing. It's not perfect, but it will be perfect pretty soon, right? So, so, so the idea that that Tom Hanks needs to worry about his how he sounds and how he looks that that is a serious issue and so he, he's right that he needs to and everybody needs to start protecting their identity in that way now in terms of the impact of job more generally um it, it's certainly the case that technology has always changed how people do the work so you know i'm sure even you know sure, i'm sure in your job over the years technology has changed how you have you know certain things you've done maybe there was a time when when in radio stations people actually took the vinyl uh, record and put it on the turntable, but now they don't do that anymore. It's you know they they, they press some buttons, and so there's technology that, that has automated away that aspect of the job. But of course, um, that's not really the, the core value of what you do. The core value of what you do is you curate and you think about well, what should I play, what should I say about it, um, and so there are things that um, so technology while it has always changed jobs, um, it hasn't really replace jobs completely um, 
Now, I suppose, more importantly, it hasn't made people redundant completely. So um, it's certainly true that AI is going to change aspects of people's jobs, and it already is doing this. Um, but I think what we've never seen is mass unemployment. We've, you know, the, the world's population is, is at its largest now than it ever was. Employment is, is larger now, is higher now than it ever was. Um, and of course, what, what technology does is it creates new jobs. It creates uh, jobs that we never imagined before. Um, you know, we, we always hear these days about sort of social media influencers. You know, 10, 15 years ago, that, that concept was, was alien. The, the idea that you could make money from posting things on Instagram and nobody even imagined that was, a, that was a possibility. So I think, so AI will certainly change jobs, but I don't think people need to be um, overly concerned because um, what's really important in the context of just how technology changes jobs in general is that people are supported and trained and uh, education programs follow and that uh, people are upskilled and people are uh, taught new skills. Um, and I think, I think that is happening. Um, those kinds of debates are already happening, so I think we've a lot to be um, we've a lot to be comforted by. Okay. But I think the, um, the the there have always been sort of claims that, uh, that 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 you know whole industries are going to be replaced. Like Jeffrey Hinton, this famous uh, computer scientist in Canada, who uh, uh, was in the headlines recently. In 2016, he said that um, nobody should train to be a radiologist anymore because X-rays will be read by AI systems by 2022. Now that hasn't happened. You go to CUH, um, your your X-ray will still be read by a human being. In fact, uh, there are probably more radiologists now than there were in 2016. So rather than, so not only has the has the prediction not come mm. through, um, very much the, the same op- as planes can now fly themselves, but nobody will get on one without a pilot. Exactly, exactly. And of course, you need the pilot because uh, you know flying a plane is probably you know, 90% routine, but that 10%, if you really do need the person, you want that person to be sitting in that seat. Absolutely. Talk, think, talk to Chesley yeah. Sullenberger about that one. Um, it, it's a, a very respected uh, daily public, almost daily publication. The Irish Times found mm-hmm. it very hard to distinguish uh, real from AI recently. They ran an yeah. opinion piece by a 29-year-old healthcare worker, Adriana Acosta-Cortez. And there was an argument suggesting the use of fake tan by Irish women was cultural appropriation. It turns out her headshot and the entire article was AI generated. Uh, It was a big story this week. They published it as fact, realised it wasn't and issued an apology. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story. Um, And uh, I think we will see more examples of people being caught out by that. Um, for example, if you're you know on on social media talking to somebody, imagine you're you're chatting to someone on online. You know, not only do you do you not know if the person is who they say they are, you don't necessarily even know if that's a person. Right? You could you could be you could be talking to an AI system. So I think um, uh, what we have to figure out is how are we going to get back to um, uh, a an environment where. Uh, the relationships, the, you know, the person, the interpersonal relationships, um, are important. So, for example, what I found really surprising about that Irish Times thing is that they published this piece, but nobody knew who this person was because, of course, this person doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that, a, that that's a, an editorial decision would be taken to publish such a thing. Yeah, but doesn't it raise questions about journalistic practices then? Will AI pose real questions to, so to the broadcasting and print industry? When well, it, I, I think it, I think it will, and I think I think what it, what it will do is is in order to print something, in order to you know participate in a radio station, um, there'll have to be this sense that yes, I know I know that person. That person is real. That person is is 
is responsible and reliable and they know their area. Um, and we treat it in the same way as we do the servicing of our car. We take it to people that we trust and the people that we know. Um, and so I think this whole sort of network of, um, of relationships becomes more important in this world. Uh, because when we don't know the difference between um, something that's real and something that's not, um, you know, we have to go back in some sense to the old-fashioned ways. You know, so how do, how do we do it before? Well, we knew that guy, or we knew someone who knew that guy. Yeah. These sort of trust networks and that reputation um, is important, and that's what we have to go back. And I think that that's actually welcome. I think. If okay, we I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to be facetious or flippant oh, here, sure. but but I, I think this question uh, is worthy of asking and being answered. Are you Barry O'Sullivan, professor of computer science, a real person? Or are you yes. computer generated? And how would I know? Well, if I was computer generated, I'd be a lot better looking. Let's put it that way. And I'd sound a lot. <laughs> this better. is radio. I still don't know. <laughs> well, I'd sound a lot more intelligent if I was if I was AI generated. So, how long would you reckon it will take us to get our first fully fledged AI contributor ringing us here, ringing themselves with their own opinion before they get on air? By the way, on the Neil Prendival show. Oh, I think uh, I think in fact this is. Um uh, a colleague of mine in Australia recently uh, did a piece where on radio where one of the contributors was was essentially a, a chat GPT actually. So I think the producer basically seeded the discussion with uh, so you know prompted chat GPT to, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence or whatever it was. Um, and then my colleague was basically talking and chat GPT was responding. Um, and so uh, that's already happened. <laughs> All right. F- f- finally, advances are, you know, they're, they're getting exponential now compared to, you know, the, the slow advances in technology that came through the 70s, 80s got faster, 90s were really, really embracing this powerful pocket computers now that uh, we call smartphones. They're part of all of our lives. Do we need to be worried about any of these advances? And are, are we going to uh, make it full circle too far too fast? I think we do need to. I think we do, and I think there's a there's a famous um, there's a famous law called Amara's law, and Amara's law says that we uh, we overestimate the impact of technology in the short term, but underestimate its impact in the long term. So if you think of so at the moment we think that AI is going to completely change the world. We're going to find that it's going to change the world, but not as quickly as we think it is. But I think you know we we'll look back ten years. We we'll look back in ten years' time. And we'll see all the ways in which AI has totally changed the world. Think of the iPhone, for example. So in 2007, the iPhone was released. We all thought that, well, finally, here's a calculator I can actually see. Um, and we never imagined that, you know, there would be, that we would lose our children into these little rectangular boxes. Looking back now, we can see that the world was completely changed uh, by very, very subtly uh, over a long time. And I think that's what's going to happen. Mm. And I think what we, what we really have to be concerned about is the impact of technology on our children on our own well-being um, and on the relationships that we have with the people who are sitting right beside us. Because I, I saw a cartoon very... the other day, uh, Professor Barry. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was quite poignant but very, very funny. Uh, there was yeah. a picture of two fins swimming away with two tags on them and, uh, and two people saying that there they go, they're tagged now, they'll do their thing, swim around the world not knowing that they're being tracked. Uh, in the next section of the cartoon, the two people who did the tagging are walking away in, engrossed in their mobile phones. That's the yeah. uh, obviously being tracked. I'll finish on a light note. I have a buddy, you mentioned a, a law there. I have a buddy who came to me and said, I live under the law of requisite variety. And I said, <laughs> I said, what's the law of requisite variety? He said, whatever I make, she'll spend. 
<laughs> Thanks a million, Professor Barry O'Sullivan. Very engaging chat. Nothing to be worried about right now, but just keep an eye on all the, all the technology. Keep an eye on it, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks a million. Cheers. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. It's 10 to 10. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. And good morning, Paul O'Mahony. Good morning, Mick. How are you, Ben? I'm good. We spoke last year. Let me just go back to the... The, the more har- harrowing times before we get to some good news, will I? So last yeah. year, Paul, you went on a hunger strike inside your homeless hostel. Uh, that lasted three. about three days. They, yeah, uh, the home- days. homeless services offered you a B&B and a, and a space in their Deer Park campus. But uh, take it up from there. Um, yeah, so I went into Deer Park um, where there was actually needles and stuff all over that building. and The same as the Vincent's hostel, really, and I got out of there and put into the commons and I was told about a week and a half ago that there was a property available and stuff and so I ended up getting the keys last week and got ready, got started painting the place, put up wallpaper, got everything together, you know. So it's it's a new road, you know, I won't have to go into emergency accommodation again where Conditions are in humane and things, you know. It's okay, I, I remember back and hearkening back to our previous interview, I remember you being offered the space in the Deer Park campus, but you refused and, and you were hoping, I think, at that stage to get the room in the Commons in. But just for some basic, simple freedoms uh, that you would be able to access three meals a day. And uh, one thing you put a lot of uh, importance on was the ability to do your own washing. Yeah. Yeah, a simple little thing just to um, to uh, do your own washing, you know, because like you go, you go like B and B's and stuff. I was in on things before, and there are things that you can't do. Mm. But you, you, you like if you were to get your washing done, you'd have to wherever the B and B is, you'd have to go back to the hostel, dragging a bag down the road and dragging it back up the road, and the system is just disastrous and. You know, even though I'm gone out of it, it's still happening. And the facilities and things in homeless shelters, they do need to come up uh, in standards because it is appalling, Mm. you know. Now, I I know because you're a guy with a big heart, there was a double ambition to your hunger strike. One was to better your own situation, but the other was to highlight the inefficiencies and and the shortcomings of services, uh, particularly in St. Vincent's, where you now have promises of things getting better to you. Um, yeah, that time now, like when I made them two demands, um, the facilities and things inside in Vincent's hostel, they were improved. All the bathrooms were refurbished and, you know, the whole place got a good paint that it badly needed. Um, there was new couches and things put into the sitting room, new smoking areas out the back of the place and... You know, it it did improve the place, but it it improves the the morale for everyone in homeless in the in the homeless shelter as well. You know, and it gives everyone a bit of a boost. Mm. You know, which is a good thing. You don't want to be seeing people stuck in their rooms. You know, and half afraid to go into the toilet because you know there's the vomit inside the sinks and stuff. You know, it's it, it was fairly bad. No, right. You know, but. Okay, well, well, after almost 10 years in the homeless services, you're well able to speak on their behalf. I hope you'll continue to do so. But the, the, the good news is eventually that almost 
decade-long journey is over for you. Yeah, yeah, a new road, a new beginning. Um, How did that come and, about? How did you first hear about it? Um, I actually heard about it um, about three months ago. I had a meeting inside in the APS with the manager inside there, and um, that's when I was first informed of it. That something was in the pipeline for you? Yeah, but I wasn't aware of anything like that, but I knew there was something something down along the lines that was coming. All right. And here I am now, you know, happy okay. out. Big week for you. You got the keys on Monday and you moved in only yesterday. Yeah. You know, but like I said, that system needs to change, you know, especially legislation around modular homes and things. Like, they're building modular homes for the Ukrainians. The legislation needs to change. Like, we're not asking us for modular homes to be put onto the housing stock, you know, as a temporary solution where living conditions are better than a hostel where people can provide, cook their own food, wash their own clothes. You know, it's that's a big thing. That someone can do them things like you know. Is this, is this your forever home, as they say? Is is this a home you have rights to and access to for the rest of your life, Paul? Yeah, I'm taking off the housing list now. Fantastic. What no. what do you just on a personal note? What do you intend to do inside? Hang a few pictures. Cho- choose your own colours. Um. Yeah, like I painted the bedrooms, their own things. Um. Done all, but the sitting room and stuff. And the kitchen, they all have to be done now next, you know, but I have to decide now to pick out colours and things, but you know, that'll come eventually. Oh yeah, I'm sure you can get lots of advice on that. But look, you're out the yeah. other end of the system. It's not all doom and gloom. It's been a long road for you, though. Yeah, very long. Very long. It's over now, thank God. Yeah. And it shouldn't be that long either, Mick, you know. Eight years in and out of it. You know, but there's people in that system longer than me and I'm just lucky really you know yeah well I'm sorry you had to go on a hunger strike uh, I know it's been a long road uh, I know you've paid your dues but you're out the other end and a bit of a success story and a new outlook and lease on life I hope yeah yeah 100% and thanks very much to all the Red FM team as well for highlighting us glad, glad to be in, of assistance in some small way Paul yeah. we wish you every every success for the future and uh I'm not sure if you're going to have a housewarming, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be a warm and happy home for you. Oh, Will, 100%. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you, Paul. News at 10 is on the way. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And a very good morning to you and to our special guest who uh, just featured in our new segment with Lana O'Connor there as well. Francis Brennan, hotelier, good morning to you, sir. Mick, how are you in Cork? Very good. good. First time talking to you. And I must say, over all the years I've been watching on TV and listening to you on radio, you're always chirpy. Is there a downside? Is there a downside to you? Are you a hard taskmaster? No, my mother always said I was like that all my life. I was always happy, even though in my early years of life I spent a lot of time in hospital, but I was always happy. I just got on with what the situation was at that time. And sure, listen, people worry about things and they worry about things and they worry about things and it's all about nothing. Yeah. So well, keep going. As the old saying goes, Francis, comes a time and the time has come. The Brennan brothers exactly. are getting out of the five-star uh, hotel business. Yeah. Did I detect a little bit of emotion in John's voice there in the, during the news? Yeah. Yeah, no, John was, yeah, John is, well, no, I, I, like we're both emotional, as you can imagine, after over 40 years here, right? But, you know, as you say, there comes a time and the time could not be better. First of all, 
we have a great year pipeline of business on the books for this year, which is very encouraging. We've, our last two years were fantastic. Uh, we have spent up to close to three million on the both properties in the last three years. So we're a pristine condition. We're raring to go. And, you know, people say go out on a high rather than wait until uh, things dip. And, you know, and family businesses are notorious for getting complicated. And I'm moving, I'm 70 this year now, so we're moving along. So rather than be dealing with businesses, it's better to deal with cash, hopefully. Okay, so you have plans for the future. We may talk, we may talk about that, but it's yeah. not it's not just the Park Hotel Kenmare. There's a bit of a package if somebody wants yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. No, there's uh, the Lansdowne. It's the Park Hotel Kenmare and the Lansdowne Kenmare are for sale um, together individually, or not at all, depending on how it falls. All right, um, we're 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 very confident that the market is perfect for what we have to sell. And we, as I said, we spent a lot of money on them. They both you can walk in and trade tomorrow. You don't really have to do anything. Oftentimes, when you take over a business, you have to revamp and pull out and spend money. But you would not have to do that with either property. So that's because you've would. been pumping money in since the yeah. since the debacle yeah. of uh, two thousand and eight, yeah. when you were probably a little yeah. bit overstretched. You took on a partner at that stage, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we took on um, Fergal Lockton from the Glen Dimsworth family um, at that stage because we had built apartments which finished in two thousand and eight. And we sold one for 1.7 million. Oh, everything fantastic, going great. And we didn't sell another one for eight years. <laughs> so it wasn't funny, I can tell you. I'm laughing now, but uh, there was times when we went to visit the bank and we were always dead straight with the bank, but the bank were the same as ourselves. There was nothing happening anywhere. So anyway, luckily enough, we managed to uh, find somebody, uh, a knight in shining armour, and here we are today, and we would not be here today without that knight in shining armour. So we have... Uh, that's great. Now, of course, you're, you're the maestro when it comes to dressing up businesses, dressing up appearances, dressing up, you know, methods to bring yeah. businesses back to health and, and, and life. Uh, and you've done that in, uh, well, especially in the park. I believe you, you banged about three million in there, did you? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's the, in the last three years, we've we spent three million in the park and on the Lansdowne refurbishing now, not buying. Um, yeah, of course. So yeah, but is, is that with an eye to selling? Back then, yeah, um, it probably would be that we were getting every, our all our ducks in a row because we, like, we have spoken about um, when we took our partner in. Like I said at that stage, now listen, like this will be sold someday. I'm just t- like, you're not, we're not going to be here for forty years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I said because it was probably always my intention that when I would get older, I don't feel old, of course, at all, of course, but when I would get older. Um, that we would probably sell on the property. And I made that quite clear in 2016. So th- since then, we would have been working towards gearing up the property for that type of thing and uh, making it sale ready, as the said. So that's where we are today. Okay, it's a mouth-watering price at 20.5 million. Will, will you give it to me for 20 I, cash? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come down, I'll meet you at 12 o'clock. Um, <laughs> No, uh, it, it represents good value for money. It's an iconic property. It has international reputation. Um, it's in perfect motoring order and we have a great team. The staff are fantastic and presumably there'll be no changes immediately anyway. And there is plenty of space for expansion. So if somebody was coming in, uh, you know, to buy it, uh, they could knock another 40 bedrooms out uh, and do extremely well because all the ground facilities would take that number. So uh, in that respect, uh, there's great potential for a buyer. Okay, and, and, and also, the staff are on board with all this? They're expecting to retain yeah, their jobs? We, and Are they worried about the future? Like, we, we've, this has been a lot, an active mo- movement for the last two and a half, three months, all right, with 
um, uh, CBRE, the auctioneers. Like, and we have, we actually, we had two visits from people already interested, all right, before we even put it on the market today, um, who came and they kind of looked around. So we were trying to hide them looking around as insurance people or something because we didn't want the staff, we wanted to tell the staff, like last night we had arranged to tell the staff at nine o'clock because it was coming out this morning on the paper. And we actually, we broke a bit earlier because for for other reasons, not because it was coming out or leaking or anything, but we we told them all yesterday afternoon as it happened. But all the staff, like our, we have four staff with us over 40 years and every single one of them said you're right you know because they see that I have spent 42 years seven days a week like virtually uh, in the property and like you need time for yourself and that's one thing that we learned from the that John and I learned from the pandemic like he was able to walk go walking with the dog go down the boat the bay in the boat I was able to walk the ditch which I enjoyed no end because I never had time to do those things before because you just keep going 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 so, you know, if, if the pandemic taught us one thing, it was that, listen, you should really have a bit of time for yourselves. Okay, so you're, I won't say stopping because I know you're going to be active, but John, yeah. is, John is literally just going to be slowing down because even with the the moving on of the two hotels, uh, the park and the Lansdowne, he's still, as you said in the news, I, got the Drumquinna Manor. Oh, yeah, no, Drumquinna Manor is still, like, that, well, that was never connected with the park except that we had the same name in reality, okay, because we were never, it never... Um, featured under our umbrella in any respect, okay. And it was it is John's and Gwen, his wife's business. Not I have no I have no mm. part of it at all. So that will continue. He is like huge number of weddings booked out there this year. They have the boathouse, they have the tents, and they have what they call the potting sheds. Lovely little apartments that they have there that you can come and stay in. So they'll continue on with a very busy season and into the future. And his son Adam came back last year to work this year hotel so he was he's more keen on Trunkina than the park which I understand fully because he's an outdoor boy and he will probably over the years to come develop all sorts down there that will make it a far better resort than it is today. Okay I have a kind of a I won't say a funny story it's a very nice story about Trunkina Manor uh, and I did see photographs to verify what I'm about to tell you and um, John may have photographs uh, to prove that I'm absolutely right but Go there was on. a kind of an American let's call it an American wedding there the guy was working for Bandit Lighting in Knoxville, Tennessee which would be Garth Brooks uh, lighting company as well that support his right. sta- stage work uh, and my buddy Mick Trant Hector Pickaxe was the wedding band and he was tuning up his brand new guitar and mm-hmm. uh, and the groom came up and said we got a couple of uh, guys who want to come up and they're handy enough uh, yeah. They, they want to come up and do a song in the middle of the wedding, and that's like, oh no, no, that's like red yeah, rag to a bull to a wedding act. Oh no, what? they'll mess up the whole vibe of the evening. Ah, yeah. uh, no, I don't, yeah. think, I don't think so. He said, "No, look, uh, I'll go and get them." And Mick was looking down at his tuning um, machine or whatever, yeah. and these two kind of pairs of cowboy boots came into his peripheral vision, standing right. in front of him, and he looked up, and it was Robert Plant and Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. And, right. and and they got up and, and, and did a bit they actually played Elvis Presley when they yeah. got up but there's Led Zeppelin playing at a at a at a wedding and in Drumcliffe Manor yeah playing Led Zeppelin yeah exactly but that's that's a good one right well he's had a few funnies down there like that now because as a resort it's very private like nobody goes it's only for the weddings the, the manor house so there's only wedding people there so it's very good if you want a private wedding know her better okay uh, so the hotel is in Great Nick business is good uh, uh-huh. You've lots of things you want to do. Let me look at maybe one detracting factor. What will a new yeah. operator have to expect to to fill the very big shoes being vacated by John and Francis Brennan? Well, I only hope that they keep the ethos of the hotel, which has always been very 
openly friendly and accommodating and welcoming and all of that. So I do hope that they would, uh, that, that whoever would come to take the property, you know, and, I, I, and it could be a corporation or an individual or whatever it would be, I don't know, um, that they keep the ethos there. And certainly the staff that are there would have the ethos very much on the go. And that's something that I do hope survives, but I can't say it will or won't. Of course, the properties have their own aesthetic value because they are property. Um, but you're very much selling it as a very vibrant, going concern. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like there's no like we we don't need to sell it. You know what I mean? Like we're not. There's no reason why we have to sell it. But the fact that we have it in the condition that it's in, it's just the right time to do that. Okay, and uh, you, I know John's John's going to be busy with Drumquina. What will Francis Brennan do? Well, Francis, well, uh, okay, I have a new book coming out in September, Aging Gracefully. You can pick up a copy for your loved one or your mother or whoever, or your granny or whatever. Okay, that's coming in September. That'll be busy enough. We're launching a new store for Dunn stores in October in Dundrum Centre, which is a colossal job, I can tell you. We've already had three or four meetings on that. When you, when you say launching a new store, are you putting stuff into a Dunn stores or, yeah. or designing yeah, well, a I, Dunn stores outlet? No, start again now. Sorry, I didn't explain it. Yeah, okay. Um, I have a collection with Dunn Stores, which yes. does very well. And we have, we're opening, a, they are opening a store in Dundrum, which is big for, for Dunn Stores. And all the designers will be there, including me. So we have to already look at our space and what we can put in it and the different shelving and all that. Like there is a colossal amount of work involved in opening a new store at that level. Yeah. So we've had two or three meetings already with um, not me, now, everybody, not just me, with um, a German company that designed for Dunn stores called Schweitzer, and they're designing the new store, which will be very exciting. And then, as well as, as all of that, we have, we're filming at the moment for At Your Service for next year. Yeah, so, so but, the, you know, the brand of Francis Brennan will very much continue to be a working brand. It will. It's, there's no change in that area at all. And all the expertise, like people say, oh, well, you, you won't be able to do At Your Service anymore. Like, you don't just forget what you did for 42 years. Yeah, of <laughs> course. You've moved away. So the head will still have it and we'll share it with everybody on At Your Service. What about that fantastic boat that John owns? Is he keeping that? Oh, yeah, the boat. I know nothing about the boat. Thanks to God, I have absolutely no interest in the boat. It must be the um, largest I, and most expensive, probably, rigid inflatable. Um, you know, if anyone doesn't know what a rigid yeah. inflator, it's a big rubber dinghy, but this is something else. You could live yeah. on this. Yeah, I know. Well, they do live on it. They were away last year down the coast of France living on it. So, But I know nothing about it. Uh, maybe I'll have more time when the day comes <laughs> uh, to, to, to look at it and enjoy it. Uh, and any preference, Francis, as to whether the properties will end up in Irish or overseas hands? No, you write the biggest cheque. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wish you all the very best. Uh, as yes, you say, uh, both hotels are in fantastic nick. Great pipeline of business coming. Uh, some of the most special places in the world to have weddings uh, and lots of things to do and uh, time to move on with your, your big roundy yeah. birthday approaching. That's it. Thanks, big Francis. Thanks we wish you and John all, all right. the very best. Thank yeah, you. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106-RED-FM. And our text line is open on uh, WhatsApp and an SMS 0868-104-106. Just before our next caller, uh, let's get to some of the text generated by this morning's content. On the Clare Asylum Seekers, a text just said the protest was because the place they were meant to be staying was deemed unsafe four weeks ago. Now they're trying to put people in there with no work done. Uh, where are the asylum seekers in 
and Clare from. I believe they're Ukrainian. I'm not 100% sure on that. On the Irish Times thing, let's be completely honest, Mick. The race-baiting Irish Times published the AI-fabricated story because of the subject matter. Uh, so says Richie. And on AI, sure hasn't Ireland been governed by artificial intelligence for years, says Paddy. Another text just said, machines will not take over from workers. The government won't allow it because machines won't be paying any tax. And one more. Hi, Mick. I was at a conference in Dubai last week. A four-minute address was delivered by an AI bot. It was incredible. Nobody suspected a thing until the hosts announced we had just experienced AI. It was presented as a video of a person who was due to attend as a keynote speaker. There was no way anyone suspected it was AI. The UAE or United Arab Emirates government had partnered with Microsoft, uh, has partnered with Microsoft to master AI. Love the show and uh, keep up the good work. Now then to line one and to Jerome McCormack. Hi, Jerome. Uh, good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. It's a pretty poignant day. It's the uh, 17th of May, now 55 years since the Tusker Rock uh, crash. Uh, you're, you're from Cove and you're still looking for answers, Jerome. Well, yes. Um, I think, you know, uh, when you look at it, um, there were 61 people on, on the plane, uh, overwhelmingly from Cork City. And um, at this stage, there are still 48 people missing. You know, there was one found but not identified. And there were 13 uh, bodies found which were identified and, and buried, of course. But um, I'm, we're wondering what about all of the uh, O'Briens, the Noonans and O'Hallorans and Hefferans and everybody else from Cork, you know. Um, that site is, um, it's a, I suppose it's a burial site, really, under sea, near Tusker. Yeah, but r- remains have been found in various parts of the coastline. Uh, maybe yeah. not fully identified until now. You're hoping yeah. new DNA will, will enable that identification. Well, yeah. Uh, in our case, uh, the body was found uh, and was buried in Crosstown and um, was found at sea and buried in Crosstown. And uh, the DNA was um, was taken by Dr. Raymond um, um, O'Connor from Waterford. And uh, it was not a- they were not able in the year 2000, they were unable to do the full DNA at that time. But 16 years later, they were able to do it, and the body has now been profiled. So we, we are in the process of trying to match um, possible relatives to that remains. You know? Okay. It, that, that it's going on 55 years later is kind of sometimes hard to believe. Um, it is, yeah. But at the, at the time, like Dr. Raymond Cuddehy and uh, the other um, pathologists, you know, they did their very best. I'm... I'm sure of that you know to try to uh, ascertain the identity you know uh, any pathologist it's their main aim in life is to uh, identify yeah I, I remember 20 years ago maybe on the on the 35th anniversary doing an extended yeah. program uh, on yeah. it and whereas a lot of the detail has eluded me now um, th- there was yeah. a, you know there was suggestion that there was um, there was an effort to try and, and and place the crash on pilot error but never ever you know really yeah. successfully uh, achieved uh, by the powers that be because there is the unanswered question, if I remember, of a stray missile uh, coming from an RAF base in, in Wales that uh, was an errant missile and may, may be fired in error uh, that may have downed the St. Phelan. Yeah. Well, of course, that's, that um, is military, you know. <laughs> There's a military secrecy uh, as well, so... Um, you know, you, you can you can speculate and you can say things, but uh, you can't uh, prove it. You know. 
Okay. It can't be proved. But I don't think it can be proved. Anyway, you know. But 55 years on, the relevant department is now intending to carry out exhumations where possible uh, to obtain samples from, is it 16 unidentified remains? Um, well, the, the problem in Tusker Rock air crash was that there were 61 on board. There was 13 found and uh, quickly identified and... and uh, uh, there was one body then found a few weeks later, and that body uh, was uh, eventually uh, DNA profiled. And that's the stage that we're at at the moment. That that body could be from any one of uh, possibly 30 families. So uh, all of the Irish uh, families have been um, profiled, DNA profiled, and there has been no match. But okay. Including myself, of course, profiled for DNA and... Uh, my brother was on the plane and uh, it could have been him because the uh, initial pathology suggested uh, a male and suggested a fully grown male. So those were the, the criteria that people looked at when they were going to further their uh, DNA profiles and to see if they were, they were the families, um, you know, who were um, members of that family, you know, that's... Um, that it remained was a member of that family. So they had to do it through DNA and it's ongoing. You okay. know, but it hasn't reached any conclusion yet, unfortunately. But I, I welcome the um the Department of Justice. It's a it's a very good um step, I think, in the right direction. And um uh that uh John Hand uh, article in the paper today is very, very good and uh, it's very forward thinking. Okay, tell me a little bit about Nile because fifty five years well, have gone by. He was a uh, he was an international uh, textile consultant, you know, which he was, he was well used to traveling around, you know, from, from, from country to country, you know, and uh, he was with a consultant in New York, Werner's in New York, and um, they, um, they, they had factories and they were open factories, like, and he, he was involved in all that sort of thing. But in earlier years, he, was, uh, he played with Dolphin, and he was uh, manager of Quinlan's in Glanwood for a while, the, the wool factory there for a while, you know. So he was well known around the place, and... Um, he was a great uh, party uh, person, you know what I mean? The um, the piano, the pints, and uh, and uh, and uh, and all the singing was was great crack, you know. Especially when I was young, I remember all that part of it, you know. So um, yeah, but, and, you know, and he, but he he was heading to Heathrow to go on to Switzerland he for was, a job. He was going on to Switzerland for a job interview. That's the reality That's of what he was doing. Yes, yeah, and I mean all those other people from Cork, you know, the or Callans, McCarthy's, and you know the Delaney's. Gallivans and Kellys, you know, all these people like they're they're missing. They're still missing. You know what I mean? I know. I know. And I'm looking at the uh, the article on the paper today. It's, it's very hard hard uh, felt for 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 people to to think about it and to to um, see the progress that is being made. I, I'm not sure you know? if you're familiar with the family's uh, passenger by passenger, but my late buddy uh, Frank yeah. O'Brien had an uncle on board yeah. who, who was a priest. Yeah. Yes, uh, that was uh, Father Hegarty. Oh. Yeah, Father Hegarty and Father Hegarty from Ballyfehan. He was priest on board, and one poignant thing, you know, you're mentioning poignancy. Uh, the people were getting on the plane at the, at the airport in Cork in um, 1968, in March 68, and uh, everyone was kind of on board except one elderly lady, and she was sort of kind of turning away from the the steps of the plane a little bit and kind of undecided looking. And uh, apparently her relatives came down and said, come on up and come on up. And she didn't, still wouldn't go up. But then they went back, the relatives went back up the, the steps and down came Father Hegarty. And he had one quick word with that elderly lady and she turned up the steps straight away. Whatever he said to her, you know. 
Of course, the, uh, the the Titanic anniversary has slipped by us again on the fourteenth of uh, of April, and and it's kind of the same thing where you get individual stories of bravery, yeah. of loss, yeah. uh, of cowardice, yeah. and in in some cases, in, yeah. however, they bring it alive. You know, it's, it's it's history is dead, I suppose, but it's alive as well. Kind of, you know, in in the story of the of the thing. Yeah, there was no, a man with, like, for instance, just to get into specifics, there was a man who had very distinctive tattoos. Uh, also yeah. had a double-lined That's heart amazing. inked above yeah. his right knee. Uh, it's amazing stuff, you know. Uh, it just shows you the other side of forensics and the other side of pathology, you know. It's, um, it can be hard to, to deal with, but, like, they're doing a fantastic job. I, I have to congratulate the department, and uh, I really think it's, it's amazing, you know. And uh, I've had great help from the likes of Jer Keeley. He's a retired guard a pathologist in Wexford, and... Um, the undertaker in in the Mulligan's undertakers in Wexford been fantastic, like you know, unbelievable, helpful, helpful, you know. And Doctor the late Doctor Raymond O'Connor in Warford was uh, he was an amazing pathologist, and he did the initial um, extraction of of, uh, of tissue for the, the mm. DNA purposes, you know. Okay, but well, like well, nine, well, nine will the fight for information, Jerome, continue very much like the very sad Stardust case? Will, will it continue well, it on, until the last of the relatives pass away? Yeah, it's very akin in many ways. Uh, you know, um, we're we're not. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm just interested to know what happened, really. You know, um, that's that's, and then it can can move on easily, very easily from when you know what has happened. You know, but um, you you mentioned various. You can mention various uh, aspects that did this happen or did that happen, but if you're if you're bringing up any speculation, you. If you're serious about it, you must have evidence, you know. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's, there's no evidence of corrosion or, or, or a, 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 um, a swan going up to 17,000 feet and hitting the, the window yeah. of the plane. There's, there's absolutely no evidence of any of these things, you know. Where, where, but, where do uh, your personal feelings lie between pilot error, mechanical failure, missile? Well, I, I gosh... Um, uh, I think it was catastrophic. Uh, I look at the 1970 report, which was written contemporaneously with with the, with the, the crash. So it was it was published two years after the crash. There have been other. There's been a review, a toothless uh, civil service review done in the year 2000 and year 2002. Then there was a, a foreign uh, Australian and French combination of uh, supposed to tell us what happened and. It's kind of fanciful, really, all of that stuff, and um, not proven at all in any shape or form. And um, now we, we, I think that the 1970 report is probably about the nearest, and it does mention missile. So uh, okay, I can't, I can't say anymore. <laughs> all right, just to finish, you'll, you'll be well known to the people of Cove whom you've fed for many, many years in in in, oh, <laughs> in, <you. laughs> in Jer- Jerome's kitchen. How's the retirement going? Oh, it's going great, Mick. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, you're not thinking of retirement. I, I know it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm nearly no, it's, there. Uh, yeah, no, you're not. You're, you're long time to go. But um, the thing is, it's to enjoy life anyway. And uh, I think about this whole subject, and I think it, it would be very nice to move on. And that the people who know would they please say what happened? You know. Yeah. And uh, I'm amazed at uh, the amount of stuff that is available in in queue in the National Archives in London. I'm amazed, and um, not nothing saying this is what happened, but plenty, you know, giving you the peripheral uh, situation and telling you how life was and how things were done 
regarding... Uh, are still the, families hurting, uh, grieving and looking for answers? Well, there, there may be. Yes, there should be. Yeah, And we had a lovely uh, uh, commemoration in Shandon this year, the 24th of March. And um, we had a, a bell, one bell for every person. So we had 61 bells, 61 people. And it was really well received, I have to say. Okay. Jerome McCormack, I hope you eventually find that peace and that closure and, and the answers you need. Ah, uh, yeah, we will, of course. We will, of course, yeah. Thank okay. you very much, mate. Thank you very much, bye Jerome bye. McCormack. Cheerio. Thanks. Thank you, too. Thank you. Bye bye. 55 years ago since the uh, Aer Lingus disaster. In fact, I think the only uh, Aer Lingus crash in the history of that airline uh, when the St. Phelan uh, hit the rocks just off Tusker. It's uh, commonly known as the Tusker Air Disaster. Uh, the plane itself was uh, Vickers Viscount 803. And speculation still continues as to the cause of that tragedy. So my thanks to Jerome McCormick. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Coming up on 20 minutes to 11 o'clock, uh, John Paul O'Shea is a Fine Gael councillor in the Charleville area. Good morning to you, John Paul. Good morning, Mickey. Good morning to you. Now, happy to highlight uh, cases of need. Of course, we... We've all seen no bypass over my dead body, all that kind of thing happening in various towns around the uh, the, count, the county and the country. Uh, but in this particular case uh, in Charleville, anybody who's travelled from Cork to Limerick or Limerick to Cork will know uh, that part of your journey is going to be Main Street, Charleville. And another pedestrian in her 70s has died in a collision involving a lorry uh, in County Cork in uh, Main Street, Charleville. Can you detail that for me and tell me where you stand in in calling for a bypass? Yes, Mick. Well, I suppose first of all, look, there's a real uh, tinge of sadness right across Charleville in the last two weeks where we've had uh, two fatalities, two local people um, that have been killed on the Main Street in Charleville um, as a result of an accident. So I suppose, look, from, from the outside, I just want to offer my condolences and sympathies to, to both families involved. Um, but yes, like, I mean, we, we in the town of Charleville have been looking for the M20 motorway and a bypass for Charleville for many, many years. And unfortunately, it hasn't been successful to date. And uh, now we have the M20 back on track, but as you know, with large road projects like that, uh, it's going to take um, a considerable amount of time to deliver that project uh, in the region of maybe seven to ten years. Yeah, so it's a catch-22. Um, well, you, you, you need the relief road right now, uh, but maybe the powers that be are saying, ah, no, no, it'll all, it'll all be covered by the N20 project. Could could not that project uh, be added on to a, a relief road that's built first? Yes, indeed. So we have actually um, uh, put that into our county development plan, which was approved last year. Uh, it, is in the, it is in the plan. Uh, so we have made provisions for it. Um, but we've asked the TII, the, the National Road Authority, to to look at putting forward uh, the relief road for the town. It just it, it wouldn't only just uh, take the traffic off the town, but it would open up certain elements of the town as well for industrial development, where we have a shortage of industrial sites in the town. Uh, but it also would open up the, the town for further um, housing developments, which is much needed in Charleville. So there's actually a double bonus here in terms of uh, providing a relief road uh, for Charleville. Um, so I suppose look, following the tragic events of, of the last two weeks, uh, there is now a renewed effort in Cork County Council uh, through uh, myself as, the, as a member, through the other local, local members that are there and the executive to try and uh, alleviate some bit of uh, traffic congestion in Charleville. As you said uh, previously, every evening, regardless of it's Monday, Tuesday, when the Thursday 
Friday um, or the weekend, there is gridlock traffic right through Charleville. We have a national route, the N20, going right through the town, and there's no avoiding it. You have to go through the town. Um, and as I said, um, the, the amount of traffic going through the town on a daily basis is just huge. Yeah. Now, there is a sneaky relief road, and it behoves me to mention it because I use it all the time. I'm travelling to Limerick. Uh, after the first petrol station on your right, not sure which brand it is now, it's orange anyway, uh, when you come in, you, you go up to the graveyard and uh, before you enter the main street, just turn right down by the graveyard, take a left. Uh, yeah. there, there are some ramps in the road, etc. At the bottom of that T-junction, uh, you turn right and you've effectively bypassed the town. Now, I don't know, is advertising that going to make that yeah. a, a, a bit of a rat run? But uh, it's, I find it a very effective way to circumvent the traffic that's always gridlocked in the middle of Charleville. Yeah, it is like, and so I suppose look, um, the renewed, uh, I suppose, call for the M20 has never been more, uh, I suppose, fruitant now because, like, I mean, the the traffic on the M20 is just massive. It exceeds all expectations, and um, you know there is serious concerns relating to road safety, not only in Charleville Town but in Ballybeg Bins, uh, going through the town of Butchfans, and um, so there is huge concerns in relation to the traffic uh, and uh, the danger associated with the M20 from Cork to Limerick. So I think. Um, there should be a renewed effort now to try and fast track that motorway as quickly as possible, plus in tandem to fast track uh, the relief road for the town, which will be of enormous benefit to the town. And it is really challenging for 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 pedestrians and shoppers in the town uh, to try and navigate the town um, pedestrian crossing safely um, because of the volume of traffic coming through the town. And okay. it's, it's, uh, not, it's not just Nick because the traffic is is passing through. So most of the time, it's at a standstill. That's when really the dangerous um, Happen. It's like the Charleville car park. We have uh, Kevin Galvin in our production suite who has some uh, information. Uh, you from that area, Kevin? No, I'm not from that area uh, originally, but I do travel through it a bit. Um, and I was actually traveling through it, unfortunately, the day that uh, a couple of weeks ago where that, that man lost his life um, due to that accident. But we were actually trying to get to Shannon Airport uh, that day and we were on an expressway bus. So we got turned off by the by the graveyard there going down towards the way you suggested Mick but we couldn't actually continue on the way that we went so what ended up happening was the bus driver ended up having to be directed by one of the passengers on Google Maps um, so instead of going as far as Kilmallock who people would know if you kind of go that direction you end up on the back road towards Kilmallock we ended up following Google Maps in an expressway bus so you can imagine how that turned out so there was a 50 odd seater bus driving down these tiny narrow country lanes with farmers literally you know mouths open gawping at this huge coach going down these tiny country lanes so it just goes to show that you know when things do shut down Charleville like there's no real alternative there's no way of trying to get around the town even if you're in a, a massive bus airing coach and this guy was like I mean I'd say he never worked harder for, for a wage in his imagine. life the amount of manoeuvring he had to do to get this thing around you know tight country bends is just unbelievable I mean it was funny for us at the time but my god like it's uh, it's really it just goes to show you when you think about these are the second and third biggest cities in the Republic and that's the situation that we're left with. Yeah, and of course on the back of a very serious situation as well. Um, Councillor John Paul O'Shea, could that, as I call the graveyard relief road, be temporarily maybe extended, widened, used as an effective bypass for the town? Not really, Mick, because I suppose if we were in a residential area, you're, you're bypassing St. Joseph's and Charleville there. A lot of people do use it, a lot of local people use it, but it's not, it's not appropriate for heavy goods vehicles from parts and planes. That seems to be the problem in Charleville. Uh, most of the accidents that are happening are heavy goods vehicles. 
Um, and so that seems to be the problem. But like this, this, this relief road could be built within three years if we put the pressure on and if we get the approval from the TIA to proceed. So that's where we need to go. That's what we need to do. Yeah, Kevin touched on a, on a salient point there because with the completion of the McCroom bypass, it's, it's almost fully complete now. You're going to have almost direct motorway connection between Cork and Killarney, yet none between Cork and Limerick. Yeah, and the need for, for, the, for the, the motorway between Cork and Limerick has been identified several times by the Chavel Chamber, um, by, by, by the Mallow um, yeah, the Chamber as well. So like, there is a huge need for uh, that motorway to, to advance. Uh, there was an allocation of €5 million Euro to this year to Limerick County Council to advance it to a uh, design stage and to issue the CPOs. And I think we can do that by fast-tracking it a lot quicker and can get it built. Everybody in McCroom can see the benefits of being bypassed uh, in the last number of months with the first section of the McCroom Bypass being opened. So there is opportunities there as well and I'm sure Charles will welcome those opportunities. Okay, so what's the short-term solution? That three-year plan? The short-term solution is to get um, all the pedestrian crossings, there's five pedestrian crossings in the main town um, that have been all put in over the years. I would think uh, that they need to be upgraded and highlighted more. And certainly I think there's a campaign there with the, the Road Safety Authority through the Cochrane Council and through the local Gardaí to encourage people um, to use those pedestrian crossings safely. There's, like, we have made huge advances in pedestrian crossings the last number of years, uh, including tabletop ramps, including... Um, what does you know, tabletop mean? Tell, tell me what tabletopping table means. Tabletop ramp is a new type of ramp that has been included uh, in our towns uh, and villages. So you'd actually drive up onto the ramp and drive across and then drive back down onto onto the road. So you're literally, I suppose, you have to slow down coming into it. You have to step up onto it and, and, and drive off it again. So like that's becoming a new mode of, uh, I suppose, traffic can measure uh, that's available in our towns and cities. And it's 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 probably a new development in many of our towns and cities. And I think that's something that would benefit Charlotte going forward. So. Um, We've had we we raised this uh, myself and other local members have raised this uh, in the last number of months uh, in terms of improving the traffic light situation in the town as well uh, and I think certainly I think the the short term to medium term goal is to uh, get get um, the bypass for Charleville uh, up and going. Okay, you guys are in power, by the way. How hard is it to to speak to those who walk the powers of Leinster, the corridors of Leinster House, to to get something done before more people die? Yeah, well, I think I think there's a, there was an open book in terms of the M20. I think uh, it is back in the national development plan, and um, it is included. Um, but I don't think, uh, as I said, um, you know, I think we need to refocus ourselves in relation to the main street of travel to ensure, I suppose, we do get the the money that's needed now to upgrade the street and to make it more safe for everybody, not only the pedestrians but for the motorists. Okay, uh, we'll watch it with interest because it is badly needed. And how long do you think we'll it will be before we have? Uh, direct access between Cork and uh, Limerick fully by motorway? Yeah, like, I mean, the, the suggestion is we're, we're going to have it in seven years, so it's 2029, um, 2030. Um, but certainly, I think the towns of Charleville and the towns of Butterland uh, can't wait for that length of periods uh, of time. And so we do have to have interim solutions as well. Yeah, because I believe there's a plan to force motorists going to Limerick to go through care by motorway at the moment. That's fine if you're uh, if you're leaving from, uh, you know, if you're leaving from Cork City, but if you're leaving from Mallow or Butterland or something, you you still have to go through Charleville. 
And the challenge is, Mickey, as you know, from travelling from that area, like the N72, the N73 is being upgraded at the moment. Uh, they aren't uh, very ideal roads either. So until you get to Mitchell Town, if you get onto the M8, uh, there is a real challenge and network um, to try and get uh, access, particularly for heavy goods vehicles who are travelling from North Cork, uh, from Kerry, and from West Limerick that have to go through the North Cork region to get to either Cork or Limerick. There's a real challenge there at the moment to try and get that going. So instead, like, okay. you know, having the connection between Cork and Limerick is vitally important. Okay. We, we'll watch it with interest. It's going to hopefully come in our lifetimes uh, that that direct connection will be there. And I, I think it'll invigorate the town of Charleville where it must be very difficult for the businesses on the main street uh, that their customers must brave the traffic gridlock to get in and do some shopping. It is, absolutely. And you just mentioned McCroom. So McCroom has, has taken on a new lease uh, of life in the last number of months and they're working uh, very hard with the, the Cork County Council executives in, in, in producing a plan to make McCroom uh, a, a more user-friendly town now and pedestrian-friendly town that the traffic has gone off it. Um, so I'm looking forward to the day where we do that for Charleville and we have uh, a relief road and, and the N20 to bypass uh, all the heavy goods features in the town and okay. we have uh, Charleville more user-friendly. Very kind of you to come on, uh, John Paul O'Shea, Fine Gael Councillor. Thank you very much. It's uh, nine minutes to 11 now. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Now, just turned six minutes to 11, we have a landmark local issue, and to speak about it, Oliver Moran, from the, uh, he's a councillor for the Green Party. Uh, good morning to you, Oliver. Morning, Mick. How are you keeping? No, I'm very good. Now, uh, there's a proposal. Were you behind it? Uh, this is for the, the age-friendly parking yes. bay. Yeah, it, it was something that came out of, as, as I'm sure your listeners know, there's an awful lot of work happening in the vicinity of the AIB Bank in Glenmire. Um, and while they were underway, it was brought to my attention by, by a resident that there was no disabled parking bay put in there. Um, and whereas previously there was, well, there was no footpath, it was, it was, it was parking on the hard shoulder. Uh, but at least that meant there was no curb for people to get up to and, and, and problems like that. Okay. Um, now, as it was quite late in that like, construction was actually underway, so it was quite late to, to be making changes, and there, there was some pushback from engineers on that. But between the jigs and the reels, uh, we landed on a, a different idea, not to be confused with a disabled parking bay, but for an age-friendly parking bay um, that's specifically designed uh, to be closer to, to, the, to the bank. Uh, it has spe- specific features that make it you know, better for, for, for age parking. And more, more to the point, it's to encourage... Uh, motorists to, I suppose, reserve this bay for people who might necessarily need more than they do. Okay, well, I think there has been as much indignance as there has been acceptance that you chose 55 as to a person who needs some age-friendly initiatives. Look, I I, I put a photograph on on Twitter mainly because, look, it's a new idea, uh, and I was looking for for what feedback people would have. That was one of the things. Um, How how do you arrive at 55 to say that that someone is an older person or, or, you know, in in need of help? And I think that is an open question. I think age is something that, you know, begins at at different times of life for, for, for different people and different people at different ages have their own needs. Well, uh, it'll, it'll be great. Myself and Neil Prendeville can park there, but the rest of the staff are, are slagging <laughs> us about it. Oh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take it too personal. I wouldn't take it too personal. But the, the more substantive question I think that people had was, you know, is it, at any time in life, you can have a, you know, you can have a, a mobility issue, even just a temporary one. You, you might twist your ankle. You might, you know, just <laughs> don't a, mention a, the war, a, a passing please. Ailment. It's, well, and and you know, you know, this, this idea of the, of the age-friendly bay is, is something that we, you know, myself and, and the engineers arrived at when, when we were, you know, working on what to do here. In other parts of the country, 
um, their, their drying bays, which are for hidden disabilities. Uh, so, you know, they, you, you may have a child, um, you know, w- with a disability that, 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 that needs a little bit more care than other children uh, for, a different way, for different reasons. You may yourself have a hidden disability. Um, and it, it may not be, it may be a transitory, you know, issue that's just passing, but you might need it in a moment. So I think what the discussion online has kicked out is the idea of even going beyond age friendly to being, um, you know, to, to you know, having bays that are marked for, you know, if, if you're in need at this time, take this bay. And if, if you're not in need at this time, leave it open for somebody else. Yeah, okay. So it's, it's not a disabled bay, but it's one, it's one that people can use if they need. N- nobody's going to be exactly checking. Exactly. I mean, no, nobody's going to be checking if a 50-year-old <laughs> uses it. Say, no, no. Show no, me no, proof it, of age, please. You, you, won't, you, won't, be checked, you won't be checked at, at, at the door like a, you would in a nightclub or something like that. Uh, but it, it is, look, there, there are other ideas that are very similar, like a, a, a parent and, and, um, and baby parking bay in supermarkets. Um, they're they're, all, they're often I, abused, by the way. They are often abused. They are, and and that was something that was mentioned online too. But at the same time, I, I think more often than not, uh, people do respect them. Um, and you know, there are people who, you know, for their own selfish reasons, will always occupy them. We we have it in in the you know the fully designated disabled parking bays as well. <clears throat> but I think for the most part, people are courteous. Um, and you know. It was something I, I was recently on a long, long drive up the country, and I, I noticed the way the driving culture can 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 change from from one place to another. And I think motoring, as much as it's as it's about laws, it's about a culture as well. Okay. And that's you know that culture, I suppose, of respecting other people, whether it's over parking bays, whether it's over letting people cross the street, or whatever. I, I think. Building good good motoring culture is, is as, as important as, as the laws themselves. Okay, I want to look if we can, uh, as they say, while I have you. Uh, but uh, I can't do it now between uh, now and uh, it's coming up on 11 o'clock and I need to go to the newsroom but I will come back to you if you, if you can agree after the news uh, directly to speak about um, people are frustrated yet more houses in Ballinlan on the outskirts of Glenmire and traffic and all that sort of thing uh, and, and lack of facilities but for now uh, we'll say that you're installing an age-friendly parking bay outside the AIB. So it's a courtesy bay. It's not a disabled parking bay, similar to a mother and baby bay. Uh, some people taking exception to be considered aged at 55 and over. But will you will you hang on till after 11, Oliver, and I'll come back to you on the other thing? Sure thing. Talk okay, to you. thank you very much. And we'll have texts as well, and yours are welcome on 086 106 So we're after them to read, uh, and you can get in touch by phone as normal 0818 104 106. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Okay, let's go back to our phone lines. Uh, Oliver Moran is still holding, Green Party councillor. Lots of concern, Oliver, about the plan to look uh, at building more houses in Ballandlana on the outskirts of Glanmire. Lots of houses, what amenities, too much traffic? I, I, I think, first of all, I, I, I want to just start off by saying by everyone agrees, Glanmire is a fantastic place to live. Um, like those, those the, the properties that, that have already been built and sold uh, and are being lived in in Ballandlana I haven't met a single person who doesn't love them. Um, and I, I haven't met a single person either from Glenmire who doesn't boast about what a wonderful place it is and, and they're, they're right to do that. Now, that doesn't mean Glenmire doesn't have its, its own issues that, that, that it needs to, 
uh, that it, it needs to overcome with the help of the city council in the next, I suppose, decade ahead, really. Um, and one of the most common things that people say to me about Glenmire is that uh, they, they wanted to have a town centre like uh, Ballincollig does. People in Glenmire, if you think about it, if, if it was a town by itself, it, it's a town of uh, 10,000 people um, and it doesn't have a kind of an, an identifiable town centre. Uh, with the, with the amenities that would go along with that, it has it has three beautiful villages, really beautiful villages in the old, old Glanmire village, in Riverstown, uh, in in Sallybrook, uh, but that kind of core uh, that's you know has been developed there in in, in a place like Ballincollig hasn't been developed over the years um, in 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 Glanmire. and I think that's a really big challenge. Yeah, I suppose the, transport- the, clo- the closest it comes is the shopping square. Really, now there was a bank there that's closed down. I'm not sure is there a second yeah. one. Uh, where Super Value is and Luciano's yeah. Pizza and all those. Yeah, so 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 there is that, um, and and I suppose that that will be an essence of, of something. So so what what I was able to achieve um, in, in terms of the city development plan when it was being uh, negotiated last year is a commitment to uh, over the next few years coming up with a, a framework plan for Glenmire. Now I, we're not necessarily in a bad place either. I think the works. Well, I like what we just, I know what we, what we discussed about before the news was maybe the smallest of those things in, in, in terms of an age friendly parking bay. But in terms of the transport infrastructure being, being put in Glenmire, we're in a really good place. There's about 50 million euros worth of, of, of transport infrastructure being put in Glenmire over the next two to three years. So really the short term. Um, and along with that is going to be developed amenities. So you know, the, the, the greenway is, is, is going to go for tender uh, before the end of the year. Uh, that's probably, I don't want to second guess this because I know an awful lot of people have their hopes in this, but that's probably going to extend uh, John McCallaghan Park as well. Uh, that does seem, there seems to be a, a lot of support among officials to do that alongside us. Um, so there, with the transport works, there are amenities going in. But I think the, the biggest thing, and, and it'll be quite a, a kind of a, a challenging thing even for people in Glenmire to imagine where a town centre could be or, or how we can how we can make the villages of, of Glenmire Village, Riverstone and Sandybrook into more hubs than, than, than what they are now. Yeah, because to get through those three villages, as you say, it's kind of like getting through Yall. Yall is, <laughs> has got its main street, but it's quite a long one. Um, yes. Okay, the developers behind a residential scheme have earmarked uh, land, with lands in Glenmire have submitted revised proposals to increase the number of units to 130. That's a Flynn construction company uh, lodging an application with Cork City Council. 31 houses, a mix of three and two bed semi-detached and townhouse terraces, uh, terraced units and 99 apartments, duplex units uh, comprising of a mix of one, two, <coughs> excuse me, and three bed units. Uh, is that too much? So it, it, it is, to just to, be, to put some clarity on it first, it, it, there actually it seems like a reconfiguration of, of what has already been been uh, approved. And, and in, indeed, it, it was approved even before Glenmire came into, into the city. So along that stretch from the ARB bank uh, out the, the back down Fatal Road, as, as some people call it, um, if there is, a, I mean, it, it, it's, it's over a thousand houses are, have been approved to be built there. Um, and that's that's a lot of houses. Those people need the infrastructure that's being put in there in terms of the the, the, the walking and cycling infrastructure to bring them into, um, you know, in, in, in closer to to the the, the centre of Glenmire. 
uh, and towards the bank and and and, and amenities like that. Yeah, you, ma- you um, mentioned Greenway the there. Ones, you mentioned a Greenway, yeah. Oliver, and uh, yeah. for those who poo-pa uh, Greenways or take them with a pinch of salt, uh, the Greenway in Dungarvan County, Waterford, has been credited with the absolute revitalisation of the town. And and what's been planned in Glenmire isn't is is is. Whether you should call it a greenway or not is quite debatable, but actually it, it's more of a, a transport spine through the middle of Glenmire. So it, it, it's in particular, uh, it connects homes uh, towards that end of, of, of Glenmire, Ballinglan End, back down Kittle Road, uh, connects them to all of the schools along the way. So for people who you know, are, are struggling on the road in the morning trying to get to work in, in, in cars, that's potentially taking an awful lot of the school traffic off the road. You know, if, if if kids can walk or cycle safely to school again, uh, then as we all know, know during the summer holidays, when the schools aren't there, the roads free up a lot. So that that's one way to, to free up congestion, and also just to make life better in Glenmire. You, you know, you, you you're not dependent upon upon the car to get to a friend's house, to get to the pub, to to you know to, to get to the shops. That's, yeah. you know, you, Look, there's, you there's, there's, and there's no doubting on the accommodation side that we need more accommodation. And and there's no fault in any development company for being a little more ambitious than they initially were in trying to squeeze in more units. Uh, but yeah. the, the big question is, is is the you know the long spinal infrastructure of those three villages going to take the attendant traffic that will absolutely gridlock it possibly? I, I, I don't think we can, I don't think we can rely solely on on greenways and cycling for that. There there are major plans uh, to uh, connect Glenmire better by public transport as well, and they 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 will be coming long before those houses. So the the uh, I, I, I made the bus connects plan. Uh, there is. Uh, a commitment to extend what we would currently call the 208. It'll be renamed, but it it's, would be the, the equivalent of the current 208 out to Glenmire. Um, and it'll run at that frequency. It'll, it'll run at a 15-minute frequency. Um, and, and that takes people... That That's a really good really good service that people you know can rely upon. Um, and so if you, you know, whether you're getting to college, whether you're going to, to an office in the city centre, whether you're just coming into town for a night out, that's, that's a service that, that you can rely on. And that will be there within the next two years. OK, um, I, I, I realise it's a regional niche issue, but uh, there, we have had a lot of inquiries as to... <laughs> no, no. And people it, it, in Glenmire are very important. exercised about these things. Uh, I'm going yeah. to move on to more general issues. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Oliver, uh, Green Party councillor. We're going to move on to your age-friendly... Uh, uh, choosing of 55 now with our next caller. Thank you very much, Oliver. Good morning. Thanks, Mick. Thanks, cheers. Uh, uh, on Age Friendly, good morning, Karen. You're on line one. Hi. Hey, Mick. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm just wondering if I'm uh, over the hill being, uh, you know, post 55. Um, what would you think? Um, like, I think what I'm personally 41. Um, I feel about 90, but like... <laughs> Um, 55 to me is not over the hill, but then I have a daughter that's nearly 20, so she would argue and say, yes, I'm on the way out. So, it's you all know relative, I mean? yeah. Yeah, it is, absolutely, yeah. So what, what, what do you think? Would you be offended uh, if you were 55 to be saying, OK, we're putting this space in for those who maybe need that little bit of mobility? I don't think there's any offence in, uh, intended in, in picking 55. It's, I guess you've got to pick some age. That's true. Um, I, would I be offended by it? No. Um, I'm a person with MS myself, so I have a blue badge. So I have MS nearly 16 years. So I'm just of the mindset, if it helps, why not? You know, but I guess uh, it, it's probably more women than men who are a bit, we're a bit like guarded about our ages, you know? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying I wouldn't, I wouldn't use it. I have very reduced mobility at the moment. And so whereas I'm not entitled uh, to or whatever use... 
uh, the blue spot. This might be handy if you know if you're on crutches or something, uh, and 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 respect for that. If if it's there, uh, you've got that little bit more space to get in and out because you do have to open the door fully and then get around it and all that kind of stuff. But ha- have have you seen people uh, as a blue badge holder because you have somebody with MS? Have you seen people abuse those spaces? Yeah, as a as a person with MS, I'm often driving around trying to get a parking space and. Sometimes I just give up and just kind of park in a non-blue badge space, we'll say, because it's just not available. And I've passed cars and they have no blue badges. And most often they're kind of new cars. So I'm assuming they're parking those spaces because they're wider in case their car will get scratched. So they don't want to get them dinged. Okay, how, how does yeah. the MS present itself to you, in, in, in you, and, and how does it affect your mobility or your daily oh. life? From a mobility point of view, I'm actually okay most of the time, but I do get very tired. Fatigue is probably one of my um, my biggest issues. So there are some days it's necessary for me to park as close to a shop or whatever as I can, but it, unfortunately it's not all, all, always available. And I see people doing it in parent and baby spaces as well. Parking, though I personally, if there's a parent and baby space, and there's no blue badge space available, I won't park there personally. I think, like, if you're a young child and you're trying to get them out of the car, you need all the space you can get. Um, But unfortunately, a lot of these things are abused pretty much all the time. And, you know, I've been told before, if you see this happen, report it to the guards, which I have one day, and they had no interest. Uh, What it was is a woman was parked outside a chemist. Now, the same day, my mobility wasn't great. I actually approached her and said, like, this is for people who need it. Uh, you don't have a blue badge. You clearly don't need it. And she literally just kind of more or less closed the door in my face and just continued her phone call. So, yeah, it is readily abused, but the guards aren't that interested. And I understand, like, they're under pressure as well. They don't exactly have the resources. These a a lot of these for. blue badge spaces are on private property as well. So the guards really have no remit to enforce any sort of a parking fines or anything like that if it's outside a private supermarket or something like yeah, that not a whole lot you can do that's true but I would have considered this to be a public space but you know what I mean like yeah. yeah there are a lot of private supermarkets there's not much they can do about it and again I'm not tiring everybody with the same brush but I've also I've often been in Little in Glamour where there's the same spaces and I've seen parents come along and just park in the space and go in with their child and come back so you know, it, it, it's not just people with new cars. It just seems to be across the, the board. And, um, like, I've no issue with the elderly. Like, my, my dad is elderly himself. But I often see on a Friday, in particular, elderly people parking disabled spaces. No, if they need them, fair enough. But they don't actually have the blue badges, if you know what I mean. And would, you ever, and, would you ever take your blue badge from your car and go and wait and, and doorstep the person who, uh, you know... the one with kids or whatever who went in who obviously didn't need that space and say, so you, you prevented me from parking here. Now I'm a half, hour, a half an hour late doing my shopping. Um, I generally do not approach people too much every now and again. Um, I remember I was down in from a few years ago and I was having a particular bad day, you know, as in my walking was horrendous, I was in pain and there was somebody parked in a disabled space and I went up to them and I said, sorry, do you actually have a blue badge to park here? And she said, excuse me, I do. My husband has it there. It was down the side of the of the, the car, like, or whatever you call it, the pocket in the car. And I said, well, okay, can you at least display it? So I said, people like me understand what's happening and don't be wa- don't be driving around looking for these spaces. Yeah. So if you have a blue badge, display it. 
if you don't have one, please don't park in disabled spaces, you know? Yeah. And like I, I, as I say, MS with 16 years, I know a lot of people with MS. I, you know, networking and all this kind of thing. And like, there's a lot of my friends have, you know, worse mobility issues than me. Um, I also like, I'm conscious myself. Sometimes I park in a blue space and it might be a good day. And I've also, I've often been questioned. Do I have a blue badge? Do I have the right to park there? Um, so we have to be aware as well of, of hidden illnesses. We don't, it doesn't always, I don't look, if you see me in everyday life, I probably don't look like a person with MS, whatever that looks like. I don't have a wheelchair. I don't always have crutches. I don't always have these things. So I think we need to be a bit more mindful of people as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, it, but you, you, you make always, a fair point. Those with the blue badge who are entitled to park in the blue spaces should be at least displaying them. Yeah, it does, but it does happen every day. I get it, like, we can all forget at some stage, you know, but, like, mine is permanently in the front of my car and I don't even move it anymore. It's just there, like, so I never forget. But, um, you know, if you're a blue blue badge holder, obviously the badge goes with you. So if I'm in somebody else's car, my blue badge comes with me, you know what I mean? And So they can display it on your behalf? They can display it on my behalf, exactly, like, so, you know, things like that. But I just, it's just... For me, it's more about mindful and like if there are these spaces for people over 55, absolutely. But I'm just, I hope they just, they don't get abused. But right. I'm kind of sceptical. I think they probably will. Okay, we've got lots of texts on. Thanks a million to you, Karen. No worries. Thanks Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Your texts are welcome on 0868104106. I think most 55-year-olds would take exception to being called old. Maybe 65 would be closer to the right age, says a texter. I can't even park on disabled parking despite having a badge. Why? Because a lot of people ignore the sign for disabled parking only and have the nerve to ask, what are you going to do about it? When asked why they park there. For, for 55 and above only? Good luck with that. Uh, everyone will be using it. Uh, great idea. My dad is 88 and having trouble with his feet, which requires him to use a walking stick sometimes, but he doesn't qualify for a blue badge. Would help those who need it, of course, so they don't have to walk so far. Uh, as so many able-bodied drivers insist, insist on parking as close to the shop door as possible. Elderly at 55, I'm almost 70 and wouldn't take some of those spaces because someone more deserving might come along. We will grow old gracefully and know when we can park there, thanks. I'm not. It's not going to make any difference at all. You'd still get everybody parking in them, same as the parent and child ones. You have people parking in them with no kids, while genuine people with kids are struggling to find spaces then. Standard car spaces need to be wider anyway, says a texter. Cars are bigger year on year and are expensive enough not to want someone opening their door on them and dinging them. Uh, So leave enough room to get in and out comfortably. And a couple more. Uh, I wonder could they do something about people with no blue badge parking in disabled spaces. The amount of times this happens with people with new cars. Uh, They do it so as not to get a scratch in their cars. Same text really. And can't even control parent and child spaces but I bet it was the Greens that came up with this stripe yep it seems so uh, thank you very much for those texts and more are welcome call the Neil Prenderville show now 0818 104 Red FM uh, good morning from the Neil Prenderville show I didn't get this text in time to ask Oliver but I was uh, um, requested to ask him what's the story with the old folks home stroke childcare facilities at Balland Lanark Lundmire they've stopped completely so maybe we'll try and get an answer on that one Margaret good morning to you good morning Mick uh, how are you again. I, I, I was speaking to you in August you were indeed case. you were indeed yes. and um, you would expect when somebody comes back on in, in May after speaking on a topic and getting promises in August that those promises would have been fulfilled uh, tell the listeners what we spoke about last August 
Um, well, as you said, to come back on in May, you think I'd be telling you great news. But I was on to you last August. I'm visually impaired person. I'm, I'm a long white cane user. I'm mm-hmm. 9% vision. I'm from Bandon and I travel to Cork on the bus on a regular basis. Uh, I have a lot of hospital appointments in COH, so I get off the bus in COH, at COH stop and I have no problem going to COH. Not a, you know, people would be nervous about going for tests and scans and all this and results. But just when I come out of COH and I want to cross the road to go over to Wilton, if I want to go to the shopping centre or get the bus back home to Bandon, I have to cross the road and I can't cross the road on my own unless there is somebody there. And very often there is nobody there because there is no audio on the traffic lights. Okay, now my memory might not be as good as yours, uh, but if I recall uh, correctly, I think we had some commitment to make the traffic lights at the CUH audible for blind people to be able to cross the road safely for a number of reasons. Number one, it's needed. Number two, that is a very busy and urgent junction. Um, there, there, there's a build-up of traffic there uh, coming up from the Wilton roundabout to get down onto the Ring Road. There's a build-up of traffic coming uh, to turn left into uh, coming up from Bishopstown to turn left into the CUH. And and there's often a big build-up of traffic coming out of the CUH, oh, sure. t- turning yeah. left and right uh, to get to either Wilton or, or Bishopstown. Well, when I came off the air from you last August, um, before the before your program ended, you got a response saying that from from the company, I don't know whether I should name them or not, that are employed by the city council, that we that they would be done within six months, that they were next on the agenda to be done. And we have written to city councillors, we have written to the city manager. I mean, there there's a letter in an inbox in an in-tray somewhere, but they're not being taken any notice of. We're being fobbed off, and I'm just so frustrated about it. You know, when you're visually impaired, you have to learn mobility, you have to learn um, all the technical things, just to be independent, and all that support is fantastic. And still, we just, a simple thing, we can cross the road. Just that it, it is a simple thing. I was just about to say. So outside, so, out, outside one of the busiest hospitals, you go over across the road to visit shopping centre. Then you go to a coffee shop. Staff are so helpful. They bring the tray for you. The staff in the retail shops. Everybody is so helpful. But a simple thing can cross the road. Okay, t- 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 the tell road. me about your your journey to and from the hospital. Which side of the road do you uh, get off your public transport from, or your private lift? Uh, I suppose I if, you, if, you, if you had a private lift, you begin to lift into the hospital. Uh, and, oh, and which yeah. side do you have to cross to to get home? When I come out of the hospital, just just come out of the hospital and I stand at the lights. I have to, I have, I have to cross right over to the Wilton side. So I, it, it's a double crossing. It's a double crossing, you, yeah. It's a double crossing. And if there's nobody there and I can't do it, I've often got the number eight bus into the city to get the bus home. I would challenge anybody put to put on a blindfold and try and cross the road. Try and cross that road. You know, it's there's letters and letters, but there's people aren't being taken any notice of letters. And I have rung the company, and they have told me, "Oh, that promise was never made. Um, the junction is being widened. There's plans to widen that junction." 
and uh, we can't put audio on the lights until that is sorted. Well, I'll be going Daisy's by then anyway, I'd say. Yeah, because t- I, I remember the promise being made uh, and I remember close, closing out the programme with you in, in, in a happier form than you were yeah. when, when you when, you, when you rang in. Yeah. How old did I you say I... you were, Margaret? Sorry? How old did you say you were? Uh, you're very bold. Uh, right, don't, don't bother. I'm I to- 61. No, I'm 61. Okay. I'm 61. I, to- I told you mentioned it as, as you said. Hello. I did, Sorry I did. About I was joking, yeah. But, oh. you know, um, it's, 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 we've helped with everything, you know, and support with an awful lot of things and a simple thing to try. You know, independence is very important when your sight is taken from you. And uh, still, still you can't cross the road. That can't cross the road. I've taken the number eight bus into town to get the bus home, and it's just. It's and and will, will, will that will that bus pass where you should have been crossing the road? It will. It will. <laughs> it will. And, and with, the, with the white cane, is, is there not enough of the public crossing? Because it is a very busy crossing to give you some assistance. Not that you should need it, but. Oh. Uh, how do you mean? Oh, you mean that the, that that the, that the traffic should stop? You mean when they see a not, not, not the traffic per se, but a good Samaritan would, uh, you know, maybe take your arm and say, "I'll bring you across." Oh, oh yes, but a lot of the times there's there is no, you know, people have just passed when when you'd come, or they just you could often be there on your own, just for when you're on your own. Yeah, and, and that- most of the traffic lights in the city are audible. Most of them are, nearly all of them are at this stage. So when, when is this proposed widening? I don't know where they're going to widen the junction to. I don't There's know. There's walls That's on either side unless they're going to take something out of the shopping centre car park or something. Um, that's what I, I say it is just being fogged off. Fogged off, I Okay, look, we, we know the name of the company. Uh, maybe we'll make some, uh, some private representation there rather than out them right now and give them a chance to say, look, you did promise this. Uh, and here we, here we are eight months later, nine months later, and nothing has been done. And Margaret still has to get to, to, into hospital. She still has to get back yeah. across the road to go home. She's taken a number eight to town uh, and an hour later passing where she should have been able to pass if, if the audible signals were there. It's, it's unbelievable. It is. It is. Because you and it I is, bo- it's, both it's, remember it's, that promise. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right, uh, Margaret, we, we live in... Thank you very much for your help. Thank you. Thank you well, for ho- ho- hopefully this will be the trigger that's needed now. Uh, hopefully to... now, the next time I'm talking to you, if I will I have great news. Okay. <laughs> great stuff, Mark. Looking forward to it again. And you're always chirpy. So, so well, well Thank done. Thank you very much. Thank you very have much. Thank Thanks. You. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, Marie has similar issues. Hi, Marie. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. Now, you're not, you're not suffering from any ailment or... Or any no, any lack no, of vision, but you do have a bugbear on people park, parking on footpaths. Yes, um, well, I just take the dog there for a walk every day, you know, up around the the Mercy, the back of the Mercy, the A and E there, and where the ambulance go in. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be two cars parked right across on the footpath every day. Um, when you're walking, you have to walk out in the road. I almost got a belt of a car the other day because with the traffic coming down the Maradite there, I come down by the, the A&E and uh, the woman started to shout to me because I walked out in the road, um, you know, with the dog because I had to pass 
and I said it to the traffic warden yesterday and he said, oh yeah, the SAB is this, that's um I said, yeah, I said it's been there for months, you know, and I said, it's there's another car next where I said people actually can't walk on the footpath where they have to go the road. So he said, oh, well, uh, you know. Is, is, that the, is that the street directly outside the front facade of the Mercy, which is essentially a closed street? Yeah, it's, you know, where the ambulance take the patients in. Oh, yes, sorry, going down by the river. Yes, yes. And it's right across from that, there's a kind of a lane, but there's a house, right? And the two cars are just parked there constantly every day of the week. And they got tickets on them, but if it was anybody else's car to be taken away, yeah. You know, so the, I and this a man comes down there when I'm passing every day with a white stick. Now, as the girl woman was talking about there, and he's over the other side of the road. And sometimes my heart goes up for him because when he's walking, he's kind of feeling. And the wall there is very low by the river, and so I'd be nervous in case sometimes he'd take a ramp turn and fall into the I river. It's, it's, it's about can't. it's about waist height anyway, you know. Um, you know, the, so the, the, the street outside the Mercy, which you, if you come down from, let's say, the Mardike, and you're, you're turning left and going down by the river there, uh, that street, yeah, is, that street is essentially closed. You can't turn right there. You can, however, go around and enter the street from the other side. And, that, uh, and I've seen it recently myself because I had to be dropped off there. That works very well for a very quick uh, set-down area because there's no traffic coming against you. And somebody can drop you off and drive on through the barriers and get back out. So that seems to be yeah. wor- working very well. It seems to be sensibly thought out. Co- yeah, but this place now, when the cars are coming down from the Marriott, they're actually coming down onto the where the paint place is, you know? Yeah, down by Pat McDonald's. Yeah. Yes, and it goes straight down. So, like, when you're passing that, you actually, the cars are right in front of you, so the traffic is just constantly flowing down that way, and you have to walk right out on the side of the road, to actually pass. And there's people that come out, even though I was talking to one of the, um, the ambulance drivers yesterday and he was saying it's there constantly. He said, we have problems even turning down the side lane sometimes, he said, when we have to get down with the cars, he said, because we can't get out on yeah. the side of it. Of course, the, so, the, 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 Mercy, the Mercy Hospital, whatever about the extensions to it, the, the, was designed in a, in, a, in a time when it was probably yeah. horse and carts that were dropping people off. <laughs> But I mean, like, it's not fair, like, for other people. And then I see them around the wardens every day, like, and they're giving tickets to people right, left and centre, but yet outside the hospital. And the poor nurses then are running out to put tickets on their cars every every hour and that. But just these two cars, whatever seems to be there with them, they're left there. And I can't understand why. But your man wasn't very pleased yesterday when I said it to him. He just shook his shoulders and other savvy says and just walked away. All right. Mary, th- thanks Thanks for the call and for highlighting that. Take care. All right. That's a very, okay, f- that's bye a very bye. fast bye. road as well bye. when people get down from the Mardike. So take care there. There's uh, people walking dogs and people with white sticks, etc. On Charleville, the debts in Charleville are on the government. They've put back the M20 again and again. Trucks are passing within millimetres of each other, says Patty. Uh, Another texture says, I kind of disagree here. Charleville benefits from passing trade. I understand what he's saying, but truck drivers cannot see pedestrians walking across from the passenger side of the truck, the blind side. When a truck stops, an automatic arm or barrier about three feet needs to extend out 
from the front of the truck. This should hopefully prevent pedestrians from walking directly in front of it. Uh, They will be in a visible position for the driver, which will result in a lot less accidents. This is a simple solution, which of course isn't acted on by anyone involved in road safety. uh, People come on the radio after a fatality. This is no good to the victims. Simply not good enough. That's a very, very clever idea. Just a little arm that extends out for two or three feet from the passenger side of a truck when it's stopped so that somebody has to walk around it and be in the line of sight of the driver. Uh, that seems to me like a very clever idea. On Oliver Moran, a Green Party councillor in Glanmire, as you go over the bridge and turn left on the dangerous bend, there are cars parking for the bank, forcing oncoming traffic to drive on the wrong side of the road. There were bollards put on the footpath uh, opposite to stop people from parking, half on the pad and half off. But there is a bigger issue created now. And hi, mate, can you check out how long you can park a car in a bay using a blue badge? I'm talking legally, not morally. I know a car that's parked in a bay for five years. I kid you not, from Mary. That's abuse of the blue badge, I would think. Uh, and um, Mick is a great host. He's very empathetic to people's stories, like the man who had a hard life. I'd listen to him every day. Thank you. Uh, from Kira in from my more in a moment. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Just approaching sixteen minutes to twelve midday on the Neil Prendeville Show. And one of the favourite topics here all the time, which always generates uh, mirth, laughter, texts, calls, uh, is the subject of slang and especially. Cork slang. We're going to take a different sort of an angle uh, on it right now, uh, right now as we're joined by Adam Hodder um, on uh, who's uh, become quite the furore and uh, quite the celebrity with his uh, Harbour Customs on TikTok. Good morning, Adam. Hello, Mick. How are you doing? Very good. Now, we've been told that when we're speaking to you, uh, even though you've never, ever been to Cork, that you sound more Cork than most of the Corkonians. Would you agree? I, I I don't know if I can agree or disagree or not because I've never I don't think I've so much as spoke to you're probably the first fellow from Cork I actually spoke to. <laughs> okay, say say yes bye. Yes bye. <laughs> that's that's pretty close and to me. That's, okay. that's not me putting it on. This is a hundred percent me. Like if I went down to the store now and someone told me something and I was half surprised and I'd say yes bye. Okay, and I'm thinking that the reason here is I'm finding out that you're two and a half hours behind us. If New York is five hours behind us, then you're kind of only halfway in the Atlantic between I'm us and New York. Middle, yep. You're bang in the middle. So maybe some of that cork slang drifted over towards you. We have, a, we have a, some clips here that we're going to play uh, just to give people an introduction to your capabilities and uh, to why uh, people are telling us there's a guy on TikTok who sounds more cork than the rest of us. Let's have a listen. We'll see, there's a good reason for that now because if we look out this way, it seems we're bankered in with bags, so we got about a half mile of visibility. So beyond that, I'd say we're only about 3,000 miles away from Ireland, and uh, that, that will be why we sound why we sound. So this is one of the gems in Newfoundland dialect right here. These two little words, yes, but Depending on how you says it, could mean about 20 different things. Say you told me you got a new skidoo yesterday, and I said, yes, but And they sense I'm saying, that's pretty neat. Or say your body is selling you a long tail, and I'll say, yeah, I went up the country by it, knocked down three moose the other day. And I said, yes, bye. When I say yes, bye there, I don't believe a word that you're saying. Or say you're getting a bit of news to say it. For all our bypass way the other day, cleaving up a bit of wood, went down cold jump. And I said, yes, bye, that's some shocking, bye. Shock. And there's only a few of them. Two words, yes, bye, means a lot. Yes, bye, and shocking by there, um, Adam, probably the closest you've got to Cork. Um, but uh, let's look at uh, the, the Newfie slang is quite, uh, that's what the Newfoundlanders 
uh, like to call themselves. It's quite the same as uh, as the Cork slang. Have, have you got these terms in Newfie slang? Your one or your one o? Uh, I, I wouldn't. That wouldn't be a common one. Okay. Uh, what about sure you know? Sure you know yourself. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like sure you know. Yeah. Yeah. Or sure you know. So we probably had the A sound to the end of it. Yeah, I've got one here, and I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a cork word. Scran. I think it's more of a Scottish word. The word for food. Go for a scran. No, never heard scran. But now, see the thing. The funny part about all this is like, we sounds like this. And one, I won't say a small portion, but one portion of the island, like we, we call it the Irish Loop, and it's on the southern Avalon Peninsula. Now you drive an hour away, and it sounds completely different from what I sound. You drive an hour away from Cork, it sounds completely different as well. <laughs> I've got to find that out. I says I'm going to get over there maybe uh, maybe next summer. I think I'm supposed to come over and about for refit. So I says I'm going to do a bit of travel around. I'm going to have to find out. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the ingredients of the accent. There's a little bit of Cork there, a little bit of Irish there, a little bit of New York there as well. Um, it, it must be the fact that you're you're kind of stuck in the middle there. Do you ever hear the word langers? No, never heard the word langers. I feel like I'm, I'm striking out on you. Uh, how's she cutting? Now you're sucking diesel. Oh, how? how I, I, I was only, what's her name? She's on TikTok as well, Andrew Wood. She had one up the other day. She asked the Snapchat to figure out how she's cutting. Now, that's a major for us. That could be every day, right? Right, okay. Uh, but what, what if I told you, um, and maybe you could say it in your own best cork accent or whatever, your one was pure langers by. That's more Waterford, actually, than Cork. <laughs> that, that, it's like a fish out of water, but uh, try it again for me. That's what it is. There's a, there's a little bit of Waterford in, in the long A's in what you're doing there. Your one was pure Langer's, man. Your one was good Langer's, man. Like, <laughs> it, it don't feel natural, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's just not natural word. Yeah. But that's what I've always been told. I'm told it's almost like a sprinkle of, of hair and there, right? It's almost like I'm combining a lot of things. It's weird because... I don't know any of them. <laughs> okay, and uh, with, with the ladies in your life, if, if they fancied someone across the bar, would they say, I'm weak? Uh, you might hear them say I'm weak, but that almost would seem like older slang. Yeah, and if, if they didn't like when somebody, would they say, I'm allergic? No, I wouldn't, uh, if they didn't <clears throat> like someone. Do you, do, you ever hear, do you ever hear the word bait? B-A-T-E, I'm bait by I'm absolutely bait. No? No, that's not a, <laughs> that's not a guy I'm on okay. I'm I'm going down to the uh I'm going down to some of the Newfoundland slag now. What are you at? Oh, what are you at? Yeah. What's a, what's a buddy what's his name? Oh Lord, they they they're not so popular now, but like when I was younger, say the early nineties, they were they were the trio, say, around uh, around here. You had everybody had their tapes. Everyone played their tapes in their car, and they had a little bit of comedy, but the like the pure nice Newfoundland music. Right? When you think of Newfoundland music back then, it was Buddy Wilson's name. Yeah, but you know, Go On, which was popularized by Mrs. Doyle and Father Ted, that that's kind of common to everywhere. I go on. Oh yeah, go on with you. Yeah. All right, we have to just just hang on. We have another guest here, Liam O'Higgin. Good morning, Liam. Good morning. Oh, you've been listening into this conversation. Uh, I mentioned uh, slang. You, you, you've got a long list of cork sayings. Do you mind if we entertain the cork people with some cork sayings, Adam? We, we might educate you as well. 
listen, I'm all up for the education. You go right ahead. Off you go, Liam. Yeah. <laughs> Digging the gob. All right, yeah, slap in the, the face, yeah. A high law. No, what's that one? A fall. Oh, right. Okay. A high low. A high low, go on. A rasper. A rasper. Oh, a rasper, yeah, that's a, that's a, 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 fair, that's a fairly loud flatulence. Go on, yeah. Uh, it's a shellac wall with a football or a splitter. Uh, a lasso. Lasso is a rope that the cowboys use for reeling the cows long ago. Yeah. Cat's melodion. I mean, something is terrible, yeah? Yeah, stalling. S- or a stall. A stall. That would be kissing, would it? Kissing a man or a woman in the corner. <laughs> Depending on your that's preference. A, exactly. That's grown business. That's a bake. Oh, a bake is. Uh, oh, that's. Uh, I mean, that, that was. That didn't work out terrible. at all. That was terrible. That was terrible. Yeah. Bearaz. Bearaz. Yeah. Naked. No, bare feet, like... All oh, right, OK. He's bare ass, yeah. He's a tricky, he's a chancer. Yeah. A, a bear of bread, he's yeah. a thick slice of bread. A clatter or a bezer, he's a slap in the face. That's right. A buzzer ba- is a haircut. A cattler, a saucy youth. A conjum box for saving money. A gum, an idiot. And me dad is, I love it. And what, what's, me dad what's a bade now? What's a bade now? A swim, a, a swimsuit. A swimsuit, same a swim, as togs. Swim, swim, uh, Adam, dog, Adam, Adam, give us some of the cork-like Newfie expressions, if you like. Uh, how you getting on to be a good one? How, like, like you say, how she cutting as a staple? How she cutting? Do you use the word some? Do you guys use the word some? The word some, S-O-M-E, he's some langer him. Uh, oh yeah, like a, like a, like you had the some big time last night. Uh, and he's the belly. He's the bellies. You could say he's the bellies. He's very good. He's the bellies. I having trouble with the connect. I got a feeling because we're announcing it from across the Atlantic. I'm having a little bit of trouble with connection and Skipper Spawner. Yeah, this was probably a small bit of a, a bit of a delay. Um, what what's Newfoundland come from away or CFA? Oh. Come from away. Now this, this I guess got patronised like like in the last little, little while where they had that plane on that. But anyone who's not from here, if you're a tourist and you come to visit here, we'd likely call you a CFA or a come from away. We know you. We can pick you out right away. Oh, so CFA is a blow-in, a come from away. Uh, bl- a blow-in. That's a good one too. Yeah, we we've in, in Ireland here. We've uh, we've taken to re-pronouncing the word boy. It's not B O Y anymore. It's B I Y. How's it going, boy? Boy. Does that happen over there as well? That's a funny, <laughs> that's a funny one, because I see that one come up in the comments all the time. And for me, when I look at it, it looks really strange, because we always spell it B-Y. But yeah. we'll say it, we'll pronounce it exact same as you. But like, if, if, man, if, I asked Liam, if I asked Liam to make me a cup of tea, right, and he said, I will, yeah, what do you think he means? <laughs> <laughs> you go go get your own cup of tea, I'd say he's telling you. <laughs> That'd be fairly true, Liam, wouldn't it? Oh, um, yeah, definitely. definitely. We, 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 had, we had a great book of uh, Cork slang here, actually, written by one of the Frank and Walters. Um, uh, probably don't have a copy to hand now, but he had maybe a thousand words that we use here peculiar to anywhere else uh, in the country here. And this is the real capital, by the way, of, of, of yeah. Ireland, uh, Adam. I'm not sure if you know that. That was, oh, that was Morty McCarthy, the Sultan's uh, of Ping drummer. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, what I said <clears> to you know, these are words we used one up in the 40s and the 50s. It was just like a language to us. But a, a lot oh, of them, a lot of them have survived. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. A rake, a rake of anything would be a load of a, co- a load of apples, a rake of apples. Our corn, corn is called a rake. Yeah, I remember when I remember when I worked in Telecom Air, and at, at the end of the day, if you're in the van going home with the lads, you, you, you go down Pana for a gag. You yeah, that yeah. one. That's the, the look, 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 ones, look at the talent. <laughs> do, do, Adam, do you do you guys have doggy wide? <laughs> doggy, no, but I don't. I don't. I won't lie. I won't lie to you. I haven't heard that one before. Doggy wide. Do, do, doggy wide is to be really, really clever and cute. Yeah. Um, have Thank you ever you. have you ever come across the two terms that we use for boy and girl here in Cork? Fien and Bjor. Fien and Bjor. No, never come across them. Okay, I th- young fella <laughs> and young missus to be old. Liam, I, th- I think UCC should do a Cork language. A degree and uh, people like uh, Adam can come and visit us here and uh, spread some of the spread some of the happiness. Uh, he could have some Raza. I'd love to do a placement. He he could have some Raza, but he'd be flat out from the travel, wouldn't he? <laughs> he'd be knocked up. Yeah. I, I remember the, the the best deployment of of that phrase was used by uh, the late uh, great Neil Tobin speaking to the late great um, Gay Bourne. He got the huge introduction to tell a cock story. And, and he said, I, I don't know, Gay, I've been working all day and I'm flat out. Yeah, that's right. I saw that, actually. Yeah. But there were, I have about 40 words, you know, and as a child, when I say child, I'm talking about 20 or 14, this is the kind of language that we use, you know, yeah. and everybody knew what we were talking about. I've, I have a feeling we might come back to this tomorrow, Liam, and uh, we might we might uh, hold on to your phone number and give you a call because it's, it's something that always brings up stories of... Uh, of of tales that happened in in times of yore, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, our our original guest Adam Hodder. You can check out Harbour Customs and TikTok. See if you feel that he sounds more cork than the rest of us. Um, um, to be honest, Adam, I had difficulty understanding you about fifty percent of the time, which probably makes you pretty. <laughs> Seriously, pretty, pretty, probably makes you pretty good cork man. Only for the phone connections was a bit bad with yeah, there. I can I, imagine I, I so. didn't find it too bad with you, I must say. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, thanks a million, though, for taking the early morning call two and a half hours behind <laughs> us in Newfoundland. And no, we're, we're only getting our coffees now as well. <laughs> I might go for a coffee myself. <laughs> Liam O'Higgin, thank you very much also as we close on the Imprendable Show for the morning. We're back in the morning. My thanks to our producers, Kevin Galvin, Seamus Wheelahan and uh, Clara Connor. We're back tomorrow morning after news at nine. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.